Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. And thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the growing conservative conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com, as well as visit the show's website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Come into the show, be a part of our roundtable discussion. And if you want to be heard and heard longer than just a few minutes, then call into our show at 347-945-7428. And once you call into the show, you can be a part of our roundtable discussion and stay on as long as you'd like and talk with our guests, the host, our panelists, and be able to actually be heard for a good period of time. Now, tonight uh, we will be discussing the need for local conservatives with the GOP State Representative Candidate Danny Seafried, and we'll be having him on shortly. Uh, but first, folks, of course, we're also going to be talking about uh, what happened the uh, past couple nights with the 2012 primary uh, with uh, Donald Trump's taking three out of four states. However, uh, it is getting close to being a two-man race so with him and Ted Cruz, and things are definitely heating up, and we'll be having that uh, discussion tonight as well. So if you're out there, join us, 347-945-7428. Push the one on your number dial uh, when you'd like to get in. And if you're listening to the podcast, uh, definitely uh, share this out with your friends and so they can uh, listen to the show as well and hopefully join us here at the show and be a part of our roundtable discussion. And I see as the folks are filing in, uh, we will bring in our guests first. And I've got uh, some questions for him. And that is the GOP state representative candidate for Kentucky, Danny. So let's welcome Danny. Thank you very much, Danny, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, you're welcome. And uh, I'm sure you're aware that we had uh, your state governor on the uh, show a couple times. Now, now, not while he was governor, but while he was running against Mitch McConnell uh, for the Senate. Uh, we know how that turned out, but it might have been for the best because now, instead of him being, you know, two, uh, one of, you know, 100, you know, he is now uh, one of 50. And so, you know, as being a governor of Kentucky, so perhaps that worked out better uh, for him uh, than now be that, you know, a governor instead of a senator. So uh, we've had him on about three times in the show. Sure, familiar with him. You guys recently had your primary there. Uh, which I believe uh, Donald Trump has uh, won that as well. And uh, perhaps we'll get to that portion of the conversation. I know there's probably no one you can say who you support at this point, and, and that's okay, because you're running yourself. And it looks like 
not just you, but it looks like a lot of 20 and 30 somethings are running for office there in Kentucky, at least on the local level. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so there's an article in the Cincinnati Inquirer. I think that's probably what you're referring to. But yeah, so Cincinnati.com, yeah. I'm sorry? I said Cincinnati.com or, yeah, Cincinnati Inquirer. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, the Cincinnati Inquirer, Cincinnati.com. But, um, yeah, so um, I'm one of one of many that's running that seems to be uh, 20-something. We have Matt Tiefert over there in Campbell County, and then there's a, a Democratic or a Democratic um, candidate running against Thomas Massey. But, yeah, I think it's uh, really great for Northern Kentucky to get these uh, young people involved, um, especially within the Republican Party, right, because so many times, at least within when you're watching the news, you see um, Republicans just demagogued as um, these old, out-of-touch people that really had no idea what was going on. So I think it speaks a lot to Northern Kentucky that we have these young, fresh um, candidates who want to put their ideas out and wanting to see um, what they can do for the community and um, really uh, campaign and work to make a difference and, uh, and really um, push their agenda and what they believe. Yeah, one thing also, uh, and I think uh, Kentucky is going to be a very important state uh, for running, uh, you know, in the, in the presidential race as well. And I think that, you know, your former presidential candidate, Rand Paul, uh, we'll see if he'll go out and do any campaigning in uh, Kentucky for whoever the presidential candidate is. Of course, the most, uh, the biggest question in the air is would he uh, go for, you know, or support Trump? If Trump were to get the nomination, uh, but of course that remains to be seen. So we'll, you know, mm-hmm. I think uh, Rand Paul have an important part to play. Uh, but the Republican Party, I think, uh, will definitely have a big part to play in the 2016 pro- general election coming this November. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, it will be interesting to see what Rand Paul does, um, especially when we see who the Republican nominee is. But he also has a primary to worry about here, so I'm sure a lot of his focus will be uh, getting his Tennessee back. Well, indeed, and that's actually one of the reasons why we've seen a caucus in Kentucky instead of a primary uh, this time around. From my understanding, it's a little bit chaotic, but be that as it may, uh, because he was running for both uh, the uh, maintain or, or retain, I should say, his Senate seat as well as running for president. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it was a it was a new new thing this year with the uh, caucus as opposed to the primary. So we had a great turnout in Boone County. Um, uh, Phil Spark carried it up here, and we had about, I think it was around 8,000 people come out on the vote. So traffic was a little bit crazy there for a minute, but um, it was great to see such a good, huge turnout. And it was awesome for candidates like me who were trying to get their message out because unlike a primary, when they came to vote, you could actually campaign as they were walking out. So uh, it was a great opportunity for me to meet as many people as I possibly could and really spread my, my message. Well, I tell you what, if you want to meet a Republican candidate, uh, there is a Republican candidate I just found out tonight, folks, and I'm going to do my, and you won't hear me say this much, but I'm going to do my damn, this is what I mean by saying damn, this is why you won't hear me much, uh, to get down there because none other than Donald Trump coming to Southwest Ohio this Sunday. And so I'm going to try to get uh, there to uh, get some interviews with them, folks, uh, possibly uh, get inside the convention center itself, uh, so I can interview uh, a lot of the people there. And, uh, Danny, if you, uh, you like to uh, 
show up there as a Republican uh, candidate and meet one of the presidential candidates, or at least be at a rally uh, at a presidential candidate. It may have some people there from Kentucky uh, up there as well, because it's literally across the river. Uh, so that might be something you, uh, we might want to confer uh, later and, and talk about. I don't know if you knew that uh, Trump was coming uh, to Cincinnati. And so I'm going to get yeah, Cincinnati, you know, be there uh, for that. Or at least I'm going to make a valiant attempt to. It depends on how uh, the crowds are. Sure, yeah. I saw that he was coming around here. I know he was, I knew he was coming to Dayton and uh, Columbus. I wasn't. I didn't hear that he was coming to Cincinnati. But, yeah, that's great. I, I haven't been to one yet. He was just down in Louisville. Um, a week or two ago, and um, we uh, knew some people that went down there. They said it was a uh, it was a fun time. It was a it was more of a uh, show than anything, is what they said. So I think it will be uh, interesting to see kind of what he has to say, and uh, moving especially moving forward with this big lead that he's gotten with his big night last night. I, I would love to see kind of as we talked before where the Republican Party stands um, as it becomes more and more evident that it looks like he's going to get the nomination. So, yeah, I think that'd be a great opportunity. I'd love to uh, meet you in person. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Well, great. Well, then we'll, uh, believe me, it's going to be a very early morning. Uh, at least that, that's what I plan uh, plan to. So we we can uh, plan that uh, off air. And so that that's definitely sure. uh, something I, you know, to say, get there. I may not be able to get into the convention center. We'll see. But if not, at least I'll have an opportunity to uh interview some folks in the crowd or in the people on the streets. And I think that'll make for uh, some interesting audio clips for our next show next Wednesday, which, you know, I'm going to do kind of a mix of a, you know, of course, reporting on Super Tuesday here in Ohio and Florida, a very important state, uh, as well as, um, you know, you know, a couple other places, but definitely, you know, you know, Ohio and and Florida are going to be very important. Uh, But one of the things we get back to the Republicans, Go ahead. No, but I was just agreeing with you. I think, yeah, Florida and Ohio will be huge. And if uh, he can carry those, he's definitely got it. So, agreed. No, no, one of the things, uh, I'm, I'm missing his last name. You're you're running against a gentleman named Adam. Uh, and what, what's his last name? It's I'm Koenig. Trying to find the article. Yeah, Koenig. I should have uh, remembered that from Walter Koenig from, from Star Trek. But anyway, uh I digress there for a moment. But he's a Republican as well. Why are you running against another Republican? Because, you know, as I started to get more involved in, in politics, and especially with the Tea Party, um, one thing I found out very quickly is that there's a difference between a Republican and a conservative. And Adam is Republican, but he's not a conservative. And the constituency that I would represent is conservative. And they're, and they're voicing their readiness for an actual conservative to represent them. So, um, yeah, that was one of the main reasons I run. If you look at his voting record in the past couple sessions, you can see that, you know, he doesn't vote for his constituents. He doesn't vote for the people he represents, but he just votes um, for in line with special interest groups. And I think it's time to end that. And I think that theme is being very much expressed throughout the entire country as well, that these people are sick and tired of these political insiders and they're ready to see real representation. And, um, and, I, and I have the honor to uh, represent that for other people in the 6th ninth district. Okay, it looks like uh, I just got a behind-the-scenes note from one of the panelists who may be having a little uh, harder time hearing you. I hear you fine, uh, but you may have um, may sound muffled to them. So uh, perhaps 
either get closer to your phone or mic or, or what have you uh, for that. And thank you, uh, Kelly, for bringing that to my attention. Uh, I mean, I, I heard you fine, but perhaps others listening uh, uh, did not. And so, okay, because, you know, I found that interesting, interesting. Now, in the primaries, you know, speaking of of the opportunity, just in, with the different ideologies, even within a party, um, something I'm kind of bantering around is, uh, in 2014, I actually voted in the Green Party uh, primary uh, because I'm, you know, environmentalist, conservative environmentalist, but environmentalist uh, all the same. And if I vote in this uh, this primary for the Green Party, I'll have an opportunity to uh, vote at their state convention in Ohio for their presidential candidate. So it's very it's very tempting to. Uh, do that and, and kind of have a conservative voice inside the Green Party, if you can imagine that. But uh, Newt Gingrich, as you know, is conservative, and he wrote a book uh, called uh, Oh man, I had a brain freeze there. Uh, Contract with the Earth, and so you can talk about what's called green conservatism. But let's go ahead. And speaking of uh, that and environmentalism, things of that nature, uh, one of the things that you're talking about, or, or you know, one of the issues you're writing about is the rain tax. Now, I, I, did, I did a little bit of, of research on it, uh, not a ton, uh, but tell us a little bit about the rain tax. Now, I heard it's about uh, taxing those even if they do not have a you know, septic system or even sewer system, uh, but the tax to the, those who support it are saying it's to help protect people that, although they don't have those, they do have watersheds and streams and things of that nature that run through their property, and so that tax... Uh, actually goes towards keeping those watersheds and, and streams clean. Uh, but you do not support the tax. I mean, I understand as a conservative how we are about, you know, not having taxes. But what specifically do you oppose the rain tax? Right, yeah. So a little background on it. So the tax itself is from SB1, which is our sanitation district in Northern Kentucky, and so it's, an, it's a regional taxing district. And the current current bill that's on in committee right now is House Bill 245, and that bill actually its goal is to restrict the taxation of SD1 and the sanitation district to just um, to those people who have direct service from it. And as you mentioned, kind of the uh, crux of this and the, and the two opponent sides is people are being taxed without having really any direct use for paying with any direct use. So this bill really sets out to get to the point of saying, listen, you are not going you should not have to pay for anything unless you get direct use. And I agree with that 100%. As a conservative and as a, a true conservative, you should not be taxed for anything. You shouldn't have to pay out of your pocket for anything that you don't use, right? And that seems to be common sense to me. Well, I, I, but, I, you know, I understand that to a point too. I do, but but with that, and, and I'm going to use an example, and then I'll. Have, you know, you continue, is that, you know, I, I agree with that point. If you're not going to use it, I mean, I, I, it drives me nuts that I got to pay for, through my property taxes, you know, for pub, the public school system when, you know, my daughter's gone to private school her whole academic career so far, it will continue to do so. So I'm not only paying for my kid to go to school, I'm paying for other kids, you know, other parents for their kids to go to school. You know, so I'm I'm getting you know they're double dubbing on me, so to speak, the education system. Uh, so I mean I understand that, but isn't it in everyone's uh, interest to keep those watersheds and to keep those uh, those streams clean? 
See, I under, but that at the heart of this bill, they're just only talking. They're talking about the water off stream into you only. There are people that are getting taxed are those that are having water run off their property into a lake or, like you said, a watershed. And though they're getting taxed just for when it goes into the sewer. So it's not really doing anything to help keep the water clean. They're just getting taxed for something that they don't use at all. Okay, fair enough. You know, sometimes, you know, but being uh, the questionnaire, you got to, you know, be double desk, even though I do firmly believe in all the, the stuff I asked and the reasons behind it. Um and so, you know, what is he or your opponent? What does he, he think about of the tax? All right, so he's the only North Kentucky legislator to um, oppose this bill. So, as you, as I said before, everyone in everyone in North Kentucky, everyone in his constituency is firmly against this and has voiced it continuously. There's even people going to court for this because they're sick and tired of having to pay taxes on things that they don't use. And he is the only North Kentucky legislator who argued for or against this bill and committing. So he's against it. And then there's another, one of the things that's that's big with conservatives, and you know, including myself, is, you know, we want the government the heck out of our lives. You know, they, they're they in almost every aspect of our lives. Uh, you know, they're, you know, they're getting, they're even starting to get into social media, wanting to get into the internet so they can control that as well. But one of the things uh, that's been going on throughout some states, and here in Ohio, they've already passed one. Uh, now I believe it was voted in. I don't. I, I think here in Ohio, it was voted in. I don't know if legislature did it. To be honest, I'll have to, to double check it back because it has been some years now. Uh, but there's a smoking ban, which is you know they're not allowing smoking in public areas. Now, you know personally, uh, I'm I'm for that. I, I think people who work at these like restaurants and bars and stuff like that. I mean, I know you could they could folks can say, well, you know, that's, you know, a work hazard or something of that nature, being around uh, that secondhand smoke. I mean, if you don't want to, don't do that job. Um, you know, so, I'm th- you know, so, I mean, and I get that, you know, I understand that argument. Uh, but, you know, you know, I just think that, you know, people shouldn't have to, like customers, what about customers who don't want to be exposed to that themselves? Now, once again, you know, it could be like, well, you don't have to go to that bar, you don't have to go to that restaurant. Which could you imagine going to a bar that's got smokers in it where they people aren't going to do it? But anyways, but you're up against the smoking ban, correct? Yeah, and I think you just made my points perfectly, right? I mean, as a conservative, you believe that the marketplace should dictate what companies do and not do, not the government. So if a company wants to implement smoking in that restaurant, you know, that's a, that's their prerogative. And if it does drive away customers or no one wants to go work there, then obviously they, they would change that because they would lose money. But in my district, I have a lot of locally owned bars. And, you know, going around talking to these people, they want the government to just stay the heck out of their business and let them run it the way they want to run it. And I couldn't agree more with them. And it's their prerogative. If people don't want to go and go into a bar that smokes, you know what, that's them. And I understand that um, secondhand smoke, you can't deny it, right? But at the same time, you have the choice not to go. There are plenty of bars that don't have smoking. There are plenty of restaurants that don't have smoking. And same goes with the employees. There's plenty of bars and restaurants that don't have smoking. There's plenty of um, other places in Florida that don't have that. And um, like I said before, it's really the marketplace that needs to decide this, not the government. And so, but, but if it was something where there was a referendum on it and the people voted, that they wanted to have that uh, have a ban on smoking in restaurants and bars. Would you support that? I would not. 
if it and so, so I'm, I'm, I mean, if it was I'm, I meant, but if it was passed in a referendum, let's say they put it up for a referendum, and the people for the people to vote yeah. for it, and the, and the people voted for it and said, hey, we don't want this to happen, and, and the majority, you know, wins that vote, and so they're like, well, okay, well, they. That the people. I mean, yeah, if it were to go, if it were to go to that, then I wouldn't have a voice. But if it were to go to that, and I would still campaign against it because, like I said, the government doesn't have a right to be in your business. But if the people decide that, the people decide that, and that's what that's what we have to do moving forward. Okay, fair enough. You know, now that was actually part of the next question. So you uh, you just answered that. Uh, whereas you know, what yeah, I can. Would you campaign against it? You know things of that nature. Um, so you know one of the and that's actually you know something that you know regardless of whether you're in actually the the last two things we talked about and Susan who's one of our panelists she can talk more about uh, the water rights and things of that nature. We actually have, you know did a whole show on it and Susan I will get you in on the line. I do see other folks on the line push to one on your number dial when you're ready to get in. But, yes, so, you know, whether you're in Kentucky, whether you're in Ohio, whether you're in what, any state uh, in the United States, uh, those two uh, topics are very important because those are things that can happen in in your state, you know, wh- whether you're for it or against it or, you know, what have you. Uh, I believe in that's why we have, you know, the 50 states because we, you know, it's a great experiment. If something works in one state, doesn't mean, necessarily mean it's going to work in another one. Uh, so that's one of the, I think, beauties of, uh, of America is you can go to one state and have certain different kinds of laws and then go to another one and have different ones because it's what the people want. And we do have a, you know, a representative of a republic, uh, and so we do have representatives or soon to be, hopefully for you, representatives, you know, be out there supposed to be, unlike it uh, sounds like your competition there, your opponent, Adam, uh, to do the will of the people. And so, you know, so whether you're there, that's what we're talking, you know, and having our topic tonight be, you know, the need for local conservatives, uh, you know, running for office. Because, you know, a lot of concern is if the Donald Trump does get the nomination, somehow conservatism and the Republican Party is dead, you know, and if that happens. Now, I'm an independent, you know, folks know that. I'm not a Republican or Democrat. I was a Republican back most of my life, actually pretty much all my life up until 2012. And so, you know, after the debacle there during that uh, election, I've I've now switched to being an independent. But for those folks who think, oh, my gosh, Donald Trump, he'd be terrible for conservatism. Remember, folks, you do have your local politicians such as Danny, you know, who you get them elected. And, you know, you've got the states still have, at least for the moment, you know, state, you know, states' rights. We also, um, you know, have other, you know, modes we can, you know, work on at the local level with our local politicians, you know, such as, you know, Danny, if he gets in, uh, though, you know, you work with them, uh, nullification, things of that nature. And Kelly could probably talk a little bit more about that perhaps. Uh, and then we can, you know, go forward, you know, whether Trump gets elected or not, it's not the end, you know, of conservatism. You know, he says a conservative. He's a common sense conservative, is what Trump says. Um, I mean, there are those who think he's not conservative at all. But even if that's the case, and I'm not saying that it is, okay, then you know, conservatism's not dead, and the country's not going to spiral out uh, for that. And besides, I mean, let's say Trump gets the nomination, he's still going to be much, much better than Hillary Clinton, folks. I mean, seriously, think about that. 
But anyway, so let's go ahead and move on to our next topic uh, that I want to talk about before I bring in uh, some of the panel. And that's the thing. And, this, you know, this could kind of, you know, be relevant. You know, this is a national show, Danny. I think you know that. Uh, but this could be relevant to other uh, places uh, throughout the country. Now, we're going to have a little spin on. We're going to talk about the Cincinnati Eastern Bypass. And not so much about, you know, whether it's a solution for, you know, replacing, you know, a bridge or anything of that nature. But let's focus on why you support that and how it's for, and on the way it's going to be for economic development uh, and things of that nature, not only to Kentucky, but the ideas of what you're working on with that and how that can spread throughout the rest of the country. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so the Eastern Bypass really um, looks a certain role in Kentucky in a sort of two-pronged approach. So um, first and foremost, it helps to divert the traffic on I-75, I-71, and I-270. And um, for those who are not familiar with the region, that's kind of our main thoroughfare through um, North Kentucky and 275 kind of serves as a loop in the greater Cincinnati region. So it really looks to divert traffic all there off um, off those and specifically um, truck traffic. So the projections look like truck traffic is going to increase over three per, like three times by 2030. So this serves as a great alternative for that, for the trucks to go through and really help with the traffic issue that seems to be plaguing along Kentucky. And secondly, as you mentioned, it helps our economy for generations, right? Because we'll not only be building, um, not only we bring a lot more jobs in, thousands of jobs back in our community, but the economic development through just, through those jobs, through home developments, through business developments, and all of those regions will spur growth in North Kentucky for our kids, their kids, and their grandkids. Um, yeah. And so also it's very cost effective compared to the fixing the bridge, right? So, I mean, that's made cost is going to be $1.1 million, which is down from the $3 billion it looks to fix the bridge. And, you know, looking at this on a national scale, Nashville did something very similar to this with the uh, Tennessee 84 or 840 Expressway in 2012. When they built the whole bypass for seven hundred fifty-five million, so not only is this cost-effective, but it really helps our region with traffic and um, economic growth for for years. And uh, it really is a great, great um, solution to to a problem that's been plaguing our region for for a long time. Okay, and and so how would uh, how would you suggest maybe for other communities or other you know cities you are dealing with? Uh, you know, with falling infrastructures, especially when it comes to the roadways, uh, how they can kind of take what you're working on and kind of use that as an example, uh, you know, for their, you know, for their different cities and their localities where they're at. So, like I said, the Eastern Bypass is really serves as an alternative to taking federal um, money. So I think that the best way that you can do is really look at your community and see where you can benefit most and where you can bring in the most jobs and kind of where not only can you bring the most jobs or where's the best spots for uh, economic development there. And then it's just a matter of getting the funding for that. So uh, I can't really speak to other regions and, and the players there and how that would work, but I know at least in Miller, Kentucky, um, we have some dedicated individuals who really are passionate about seeing this project through and really realize that um, it's great for Northern Kentucky. And uh, I agree with them. I think this project would be uh, a great help for uh, everyone in the region. 
DJ, before we uh, listen to uh, to I can't even talk tonight. I don't know what it is. Maybe I need more coffee. Uh, but before we listen to the Patriot Journalist Network, uh, other topics uh, that we may touch on tonight, you know, stay on as long as you you, you like, uh, Danny. But other topics that you can hear at the and read more about his website, which that is, what's your website, Danny? www.dannyseifried.com. Seifried, so it looks like I mispronounced it earlier. I apologize for that. And you can hear, That's you know, I see you got, you know, <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, pro-life, uh, the drug epidemic, which, you know, I never thought that I would ever hear in, in America that we would have such a drug epidemic going on, especially right. with, with this heroin. Uh, which it really yeah, ties Nelson into. Uh, been really played by that. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Oh no, that's okay. You're, you're the guest. You're allowed to cut me off. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the guests take precedence here on the show when they're on. And so yeah, I mean the drug epidemic, you know, the Second Amendment, education, taxes, jobs. Now of course these are. This is one of the things I think that is frustrating uh, people about politics now, Danny. Um, you know, is that I mean I've been following it. God, I, I hate to say this. I've been following politics longer than you've been alive. Um, <laughs> boy, I hated to say that, but uh, <laughs> but but I've been following politics since I was ten, so I'm not that much older. Uh, you know, but we keep having to talk about, unfortunately, the same the same issues. And I'm hoping with having you know local conservatives like yourself, we could get some of the things you know, such as education, taxes, jobs, you know, Second Amendment. Finally, get those things nailed down. Finally, get those issues where we don't have to worry about them anymore. And then we can move on, you know, with, with other issues uh, that perhaps can help, you know, make this country more productive, not only with jobs, you know, let's say let's work together and you know, get our, get ourselves as ourselves, get ourselves back out in the space, you know, things of that nature, work on greater technologies, you know, such as, you know, nuclear fusion uh, for power, uh, you know, things of that nature. And so it is the bottom of the hour. So I need to play, uh, our programming note with the Patriot Journalist Network. Boy, nothing is working tonight, folks. Let me tell you, what is going on? Well, this is this is not good. There we go. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at patriotjournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And definitely, folks, check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com as well as the show's website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com uh, where you can go there and share the show's link uh, by going to the contact page where you can see the email list that I sent out or the email uh, that I sent out to the folks on the email list as well as if you are a Twitter user, you can tweet out the show. I made it pretty simple for folks. All they got to do is push that little Twitter button. You may have to uh, sign in there to your Twitter account in order to do that. Uh, but then you can tweet out uh, the link of the topic of the show, as well as you can follow me, the host, on Twitter uh, by pushing just a little button there. 
as well as you can visit our Facebook page, a little button for there as well. And also check out the Bard's Logic Newsroom, where you'll see articles uh, on the website, and you can subscribe to the news, uh, don't call it a newspaper, because newspapers are dying, folks, as we know it. But it, if you want to subscribe to the newsroom, uh, where you can get our weekly updates of the different articles that are coming out, you can do that as well. And that's on the Bard's Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com, as well as Newsmax TV, and you can see that as well. So let's go ahead, uh, Danny, and we're going to bring in uh, one of our panelists, and that is Susan. And Susan, uh, later on tonight, is going to give us a little update about uh, the people she talked to while in Idaho who had their primary last night and is the only primary that Ted Cruz took uh, from the three out of the four, uh, Trump winning the other three, Cruz took uh, Idaho, which frankly doesn't surprise me all that much. So we'll uh, get some updates from her. But first, uh, Susan, do you have any questions or comments for our guest tonight? And, of course, thank you for coming to the show. Oh, well, thank you. Um, oh, I, I saw his picture. He's a very handsome young man. He should get a lot of ladies' votes. <laughs> We're not in Bard's Logic after dark yet, uh, uh, Susan. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, he sounds uh, sensible, too. So you combine hey, we've that. We've got some, some always... lovely ladies on there, too. Go ahead. What? So we've had some lovely uh, lady guests on the on the uh, on the uh, show too. So go ahead. Well, you know, if he's, I don't know if they were running for office, but it always helps, I'm sure. Especially that age, it would be impressive. There was a young lady that was high school age that ran for an office somewhere in Braxell uh, last year and won. So it's really nice to see, and she went door to door knocking and. Just you know, uh, but her dad. Yeah, I think, that's, yeah, um, I think that's the most important thing in local politics is making sure you go out and really knock on everyone's door and, and meet as many people as you can, especially with someone like me, you know, who's, who's so young and and uh, my name recognition is so low compared to Adam, who's been in since you know he's been a state representative since 2007. Before that, he was a councilman. Before that, he was a um, commissioner. So um, yeah, I think that's. That's a great point you made. Is going door to door and and uh, meeting everyone in the community. It's uh, definitely really important. And if you don't win there, just move to Idaho and you can take Mike Simpson's spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure no to keep problem. that in the back of my mind. <laughs> okay, Idaho could use you. All right, sounds good. Uh, so I don't really have any other questions other than uh, I think it's cool at his age that he's so involved. Well, I appreciate that. Well, I've got a question uh, that's popped up. As uh, you know, as I said earlier, we had uh, you know Bevan on the uh, the show about three, you know, a couple times. I think it's about three times when he was running in the primary and also for his gubernatorial race uh, when he was running for that as well. And so, is there any, you know, I'm not saying perhaps you know him because it's just you know the position he's in. Uh, and both of you, both you guys being Republican, but do you have any other type of uh, support or endorsements or anything that you uh, were able to gather so far? Um, within North Kentucky, I mean, no, not official. Any elected official has has come out and endorsed us, and I really think that's just the nature of 
well, I think a combination of things. One, we're taking on a incumbent who, like I just mentioned before, has been in since 2007, before that he was a commissioner, before that he was councilman. So he has a lot of inroads in Northern Kentucky, and I think a lot of people are hesitant to come out um, against an incumbent. And not only that, I think that's compounded by people are afraid to come out against incumbent with someone who is 23 years old running for office, right? So while we don't have many endorsements, we do have a lot of local support. And I and I mean that in the sense that the Tea Party has been a huge help to us in both Kenton and Boone counties. Um, we've been going door to door, and we've gotten a great reception from there. So um, a great piece of advice I got from our um, – from an elected official was, you know, don't worry so much about endorsements, worry about votes. And I think that's kind of the philosophy we've uh, had and we've maintained throughout this campaign is that we're not too worried about the elected officials. We're worried more about the people of the 69 districts and our constituency and worried about getting their votes, not too worried about the uh, the endorsements we rack up. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. Of course, the endorsements, well, let's be honest, folks. I mean, this is a year for folks who are getting endorsements for it to mean absolutely nothing. Uh, and Because, I mean, we could see all the endorsements that uh, Rubio has gotten, and, man, he's just – he's just Rubio? What, 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 who, who's Rubio? So, uh, <laughs> all the, you know, all the endorsements that guy's got, it's done him absolutely nothing. So, I think, especially in this and, – and hopefully, you know, Danny will have it where, you know, because there is such an anti-establishment, anti, um, you know, elitist, you know, going on right now, sentiment going on, uh, maybe even any incumbent going on, that, that that will greatly help you in there. And one of the things, through my understanding, Adam can't talk about is, you know, your youth, because through my understanding, he was like 22 years old when he entered a, a, a political office, was he not? Yeah, correct. So he was 22 when he first came on to Bill Hill City Council. And um, before the session, and you don't have to fact check me on this, but the only other bill that he sponsored was a bill to go to the age of to 18 to run for mayors. And, you know, he's quoted saying, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, if a constituency, constituency wants to fit you in, it shouldn't matter what age you are. So he can try to, you know, he can try to attack me for it. No, for it'll age, come out, but, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> it, it'd be a little hypocritical, yeah. Exactly. Um, it was Sarah Blair. S A I R A. She's 18 years old, and the youngest lawmaker in the youngest lawmaker in the country. Uh, She's a 44 year old Democratic competitor, and represents. What was was that at? uh, West Virginia, I think. That's where she's going to school. Yeah, for the West Virginia House of Delegates. Wow, it's pretty amazing. They must have a lower age uh, requirement out there in West Virginia than they do in Kentucky. I'm trying to think when that happened. I can't see the date, but it was last year, the year before at the most. Um, mm-hmm. And she, she, it, it was, it, it was a really good story to see that <clears throat> the average age in Congress is 57, <laughs> and the average age mm-hmm. in the U.S. Senate is 62. That was her main focus. I don't see how I could possibly do anything but being young and coming in with a fresh perspective. Right. So that's something you can you can say to them, you know, hey, I'm coming in with a fresh perspective. Yeah. <laughs> they, I couldn't agree you know, more. Her, her classmates rallied around her. So if you can get young people from, I guess you're going to school or something like that. Um, Me? 
Yes, I graduated from Xavier University. I'm finishing my MBA now. Oh, okay. Well, if you can get some of your friends and classmates to uh, help, you know, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And so, and since you brought up Xavier University, uh, which is my alma mater as well. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> so, Are you I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm dead serious. Yeah, that's my alma mater wow. is, is Xavier University. Uh, actually, uh, one, one of the things knowing there is that there's a good deal of philosophy classes that you have to take there, right? Correct. Yeah. Hasn't changed. Now, do you, well, I'm sorry? I said it hasn't changed since you've been there. You got it. Okay, and so uh, yes or no, perhaps not. I mean, I know there's a lot of philosophy classes of professors. Are you familiar with uh, a Professor Blonick? Blonick, I am not. I Professor Wolf. Okay, yeah, philosophy. Okay, how many how many courses did you take there? I know people need those softball questions, but I want to ask them anyway. It's my show, so I'm allowed. Go ahead. (laughs) I took three philosophy classes. Well, which ones were they? Uh, I think it was like a general. I don't know the names. I think like I don't know what the names were for the philosophy class. Oh, that's okay. I, 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 I was minor in philosophy. The so. general elective. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know what the like intro. Yeah, it was like an intro to philosophy, and then there was uh, the theory of knowledge. At least this is when I went. Yeah. It's called theory of knowledge, and then there was another one. Um, yeah. Well, because uh, Blonick, he's a professor there. Uh, he's also a published author. Has his own. Uh, Philosophical perspective called experientialism. Does that ring a bell? Uh, can't say that it does. Okay, then yeah, you probably have not had him. He he, he teaches uh, that. Well, it's, you know, he's a professor there. He's actually, to be honest, he's a good friend of mine. <laughs> so I'm just curious on whether you had the opportunity to. Because I was gonna, I'm like, well, Gary, did you? Uh, <laughs> do you remember teaching the day he's running for office? Uh, mm-hmm. so, well, next so time I'm just curious I'll give on the plug for you. Yeah, I just, I'll just, uh, I'm just curious because I get to talk to him. Uh, I was, I would ask him about it. Um, and he, we've interviewed him actually a couple of times on the show, uh, both for his uh, philosophical perspective as well as, he, as I say, he's an author. Uh, we're actually working on getting him on again for a, a book he's recently wrote. Uh, but this is more about uh, economics, so it'll be interesting to be able to have him on about like that. But you know, the organic nature of the show, I digress. Uh, but one of the things. Uh, we've noticed is, you know, millennials are seem to be, uh, maybe in, this question is for you, are millennials, do you see, at least in your region, becoming more involved in politics? And then the millennials that you're coming across, because I'm sure you're coming across to, you know, a lot of them just because, you know, your age, is that are you noticing a lot of them are still is what, you know, we kind of think about, as especially either still in academia or, or freshly coming out of it? And what I mean is by uh, colleges. Are you noticing if there's still a lot more just pretty much liberals? Or are you finding the conservative, uh, you know, uprising uh, from millennials? I mean, what, what's your experience? Um, yeah, so I think I kind of alluded to this a bit earlier, but I think a lot of young people are very um, molded and shaped by the media that they watch. And the media that we watch always seems to paint uh Democrats and liberals in a, in a positive light and conservatives and uh, right-wingers in a negative light. And, you know, there's good and bad to both sides, but um, I think, and at least in my region, in Northern Kentucky, a lot of the young people that I talk to and and um, 
have seen how I'm campaigning and have agreed with most of the issues. And if you don't come out and say, you know, I'm a Republican conservative and you just tell them the issues that you're running on and, and kind of show them what ideology you you believe in, you know, I would say 9 out of 10 agree with you. So I think I would say that, you know, while in name, I don't know that there's too many young conservatives, um, at least countrywide or nationwide, I think in ideology that there is. And uh, but in Long Kentucky we have the privilege of um, of both. I think we have you know young people who are both aligned ideolog- ideologically and um, who are willing to say that they're young conservatives. And we actually have a, a pretty prevalent group here. It's actually the Young Republican group, and there's about 85 members, and it's a uh, slip in Long Kentucky between Boone, Ken, and Campbell. And uh, it's events. You know they they have breakfasts, they have dinners, and they're actually kind of a big um, force and a big uh, outlet for young people here in Long Kentucky. So um, I don't know about nationwide. I think there there might be a little bit of a a difference, but at least in Long Kentucky, we uh, we seem to be blessed to have um, young conservatives. And, and all the different, you know, you know, cause you have a list on your website of you know the different issues and you know, your stances, things of that nature. If you could pick, you know, one issue that is the one you feel the most passionate about, what issue is that and why? Sure. So I think, um, as of right now, it's a drug epidemic that has been plaguing on Kentucky, and, and it really is has been a huge, huge issue here. So we've seen overdoses increase um 50% just in my home, my home county in Boone. So it's really tearing families apart, tearing our community apart. Um, it's gotten so bad they even sell Narcan over the counter at Kroger's. And if you're, familiar, if you're not familiar, Narcan is the overdose drug, right, that they, they put into, um, they inject into people that are overdosed and bring them back to life. So that's something I really would uh, like to see changed. And I think that it can be changed once we impose stricter penalties on these dealers and something that, you know, they can't be serving. Most of these guys, they're found and they're put in jail and they serve 20% of their sentence throughout eight months and, and they're already back targeting um, these same addicts. And it's really something that we need to, to to address and make sure that they're serving out longer than this 20% of their sentences so they're not back on the streets repeating this cycle over and over again and just tearing, tearing these families and, and our community apart. And, and two things kind of to branch off on that, to two different directions but still connected, uh, you know, to the uh, the drug problem, is that one is there are, you know, some states that have like a needle turn-in program where you can turn in a needle uh, for, you know, get new ones to get clean ones so that people aren't getting AIDS and people aren't getting, you know, hepatitis C and things of that nature. Uh, is there a program there in Kentucky? I'll be honest, I'm not knowledgeable now about it, but uh, is there a program there in Kentucky or is there a discussion on getting one? And what, what's your stance on that? Yeah, so in uh, Kentucky, there are there are needle exchange programs. Um, my opponent actually voted for it, and I am against it. Um, I understand what it is doing in um, what it intends to do, but I think any time as we society condemn drug use, we shouldn't be um, giving the means to actually use the drugs. We shouldn't be providing them with the paraphernalia, and even to go even further than that, it's really not getting at the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is the dealer, as I mentioned before. Um, and I don't know if you know much about addiction, but 
when you're addicted and you're trying to recover, there's certain triggers that get um, that that remind you and make you want to use again. And I don't think putting free needles across um, your community is going to help with that. Additionally, dealers are going to be able to target those those locations, and it's just going to be a target-rich environment further. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's really not, Important. and it's just not it's not getting to at the the heart of the issue here, and it's not really. It's putting a band-aid on a gushing wound and it's bound to break. So I think if we want to allocate any money, we really need to allocate it towards um, making sure these dealers serve their full sentence. And in the second branch of that, a lot of folks are connecting the drug problem, uh, including a lot of the presidential candidates, are connecting the drug problem with immigration and illegal immigration especially. Uh, Do you find a connection there? And, you know, not, I mean, you're, it is just local politics, but perhaps there's something uh, you could do there. Uh, what's your thoughts on, you know, uh, do, do you agree with there's a connection between the, the drug problem and our illegal immigration? Um, I, I, I can't really speak specifically to if there's a direct correlation between the number of illegal immigrants, the number of hair, like the amount of heroin being introduced in this country, because I just don't have that information available to me. But I will say um, the biggest issue within North Kentucky and the biggest thoroughfare is right off I-71, right? It's, it's the biggest expressway and the biggest heroin bus has been right off the expressway where it's easy access in and out. So, um, yeah, like I said, I don't know that it is a direct correlation to illegal immigration. I think illegal immigration is something that needs to be addressed within the country and uh, it's a big issue for our federal state, federal uh, lawmakers. But um, uh, in regards to a direct correlation or a direct uh, Relationships with the heroin overdoses in North Kentucky and the heroin epidemic in North Kentucky. I don't know. I can speak to that. Okay, and then with guns, you know, and we'll bring this back because you know they're talking about you know with the illegals and of course you know their guns and the people getting killed and things of that nature. Uh, the different things that's been happening in the schools, uh, you know, and also you know just the, the threat of terror attacks and. It says there are strong uh, Second right, you know, Second Amendment rights, things of that nature. Now, one of the things that, you know, I contend is you have places, and I'll use this as an example, uh, schools is a gun-free zone. Okay, what are your thoughts on, especially with schools, and when I'm not saying students, of course, being able to bring in guns, but people in authority such as, like, the principal or, or, or maybe someone, you know, who is responsible to, you know, be able to protect the children and have a gun in school. Uh, what are your thoughts on those being, you know, gun-free zones and allowing uh, people such as, you know, teachers or principals to be able to have a gun where they can, if need be, defend these students, whether it's from another student or if there's any kind of terrorist attack or just, you know, one of these things we've been, you know, other things we've been seeing in the news uh, when it comes to guns in schools. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that's a good point. And so with schools, I mean, to be to be blunt, they're target-rich environments, right? Gunmen, same with like movie theaters and stuff like that. Gunmen know they can go in there. There's not going to be anyone armed, and they can and they can do what they well please. And that I think is something that needs to be addressed. Now I'm not saying that we should just give a gun to um, every single teacher that's not properly trained, but if they go to the class, well, yeah, they, they have to be properly so, trained, right? Yeah, exactly. But if they're properly trained, they understand how to use a gun, and um, and and they know, how, like I said, they know how to use a gun, then I think, um, yeah, it's a great idea. And I think it instills a lot more fear into these uh, gunmen that want to come, come to these target environments and do what they will. 
Um, okay, we have uh, a Go ahead, and then I see Kelly wants to get on the line, and we'll get Kelly oh, okay. in, but go ahead, Susan. And uh, Susan's uh, um, our, our panelist from Idaho. Go ahead. The, uh, this gal, uh, it was 2014, uh, and she was 17 when she primaried. And even the Democrat attorney that ran against her had good things to say about that young lady, that 17, 18-year-old put herself out there and won a political campaign. Um, she uh, apparently described herself as fiscally conservative and campaigned on a pledge to work to reduce certain taxes on businesses. Now, I know she didn't say, I will, like so many people, and don't make that mistake, don't say, I will do this, I can do this, say you'll work to do it, because otherwise you make promises then that if other people don't join you, then you can't fulfill them. Um, her website boosted and uh, boasted an A rating from the NRA and endorsements from West Virginia for Life. So um, that might give you some ideas. Um, apparently, the, the re- working to reduce taxes for businesses appealed very much, at least in that area, which is near the border of Maryland. Apparently, what's her name again? The state. Pardon? What's her name again? S A I R A. I assume it's Sarah. Uh, Blair, B-L-A-I-R. Her father was a campaign manager and is a state senator there. Oh. So you could Google it up. It might have sure. some good information. To well, help that you probably helps out. her out having a dad as a state senator. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> probably. That would be nice to have, huh, Danny? <laughs> yeah, right. We have an endorsement then. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the knowledge sure and the know-how, the campaigning. All right. That was Let's there. go ahead and uh, you know, just... gotcha. okay. Let's go ahead and bring uh, Kelly in now. Uh, for those new to the show, Kelly is our uh, panelist from California. As also, we dub them our constitutional scholar. Thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm good. <clears throat> I always like those accusations being a constitutional scholar and actually really would take a lifetime to get. Um, anyway, over to Danny. I, Danny, I'm really admi- I, in admiration of what you're doing. Um, I was began my activist career when I was 21 at Iowa State, and uh, we got number one on campus. I was the chair of the presidential campaign for this candidate. And uh, I really admire right out of the gate that you want to fix some roads. And I say that because, well, I, I married an activist well, many, many years ago, long story, but she worked at the state house. At, she was a, uh, called the Senate Republican Caucus. They reviewed bills and all this stuff. And, and they were like, well, what should we do to help the Republican Kelly, Party Kelly, we can't hear you. There you go. <laughs> yeah. She goes, well, what's, what should we do to help the Republican Party of California and maybe some people around Sacramento? I said, yeah, build some more bridges, widen these roads. This is ridiculous. We're sitting here in traffic. And she went and talked to some people, and, and they said, no, no, no. That has, it, it costs too much money, and it doesn't get quick votes. And it really, they weren't, the Republicans out here were not looking out for the people. And if you know uh, Collier, uh, he's from Siskiyou County here, actually. He was, uh, quote, unquote, the father, father of the freeways. Of course, Eisenhower, too. And so when you tell me that you want to do some road improvements, 
um, that tells me a lot about your character and that you're actually looking out for the people. And right. you, you nailed it as far as business goes. I mean, when you think about our country, um, you know, the vehicles and then transportation and then my um, grandpa told me stories of all the ruts from the, you know, 1920s cars and what have you. But um, when you have infrastructure like this, it produces commerce amazingly and helps the town grow. And I also have a degree or two in civil engineering. But um, I really admire that you're looking out for people like this. I mean, that's just right off the start. Um, I do want to ask you a standard question that I um, ask all of our candidates, or at least I try to. Do you know what Article 9 and 10 are of the Bill of Rights? Article, yeah, Article 10 is the state's rights, basically, that the state should have, um, like, have more rights than the federal government, and that they have the, they have the right to uh, um, come together and do that. And then Article 9 of the Constitution, um, I'm not 100% sure, but um, I can give you a quick overview. It's just, like, the enumeration, like, not, like, um, so you can't, like, deny or disparage others. Like the a jury, right? Well, you're close. Article well, nine and ten are very close to the same. Um, they say, in some ways, they say the same thing, but in different ways, which is stunningly important. Article nine basically says, look, the enumeration of the powers given by the states to the Constitution to the federal government does not mean you have ultimate power over us. Right. You know, the, the enumeration of these powers cannot be construed to be meant that you have ultimate power over us. Number 10 says um, all rights and powers not delegated to the federal government are retained by the states and the people. And if you dwell on 9 and 10, there is a distinct difference because they wanted to make it absolutely clear, federal government, you are not going to become a monster behemoth and dictate over our lives, which, well, that's happened since then, but and I'm really, I, I mostly I'm impressed even more now that you have this um, candled because I, I believe you would therefore understand the importance of local power, local control, whether it be a city, county, or a state. So I, I'm, I'm rather impressed. Yeah, and like that's that's a good point there, and that's one I wanted to harp on a little bit earlier is that you know I think a lot of people get disenfranchised when they watch these big presidential elections or even Senate elections and they say, you know, my vote doesn't matter, they're not going to listen to me, this and that. But then my counter to that is always, well, that's why you need to get involved in local politics and that's why you need to reach out to your local legislators because there's a lot more actionable things that you can do as a local legislator, especially if you're a citizen. You can reach out to your legislator and make a lot more actionable requests than you could, of course, as a president or as a state senator or congressman. So, I couldn't agree more with you. I think local politics is really um, something that this country is founded on and something that needs to remain the forefront if we want to improve or, or continue to improve this country. Well, I, yeah, I, I, um, last spring I fought over a co-compliance ordinance, $1,000 a day had a, fine. <laughs> we just had, that's yeah. funny you mentioned that. We just had a big, uh, big rift over that in my home county, in Boone County. They wanted to bring on a uh, code enforcement board, and, and we uh, we fought them back pretty pretty heavily. So, yeah, that's funny you mentioned that. Oh, cool. Well, in California, we're not so lucky. We have the code enforcement <laughs> board. And they want to get well, gentlemen, real quick, well, gentlemen, real quick, and I, hate to, and I hate to interrupt, 
Uh, but we are at the top of the hour, and we've got one uh, hour of the show uh, completed. There, we still have plenty of time for discussion. I do see folks uh, listening on the line. If you'd like to chime in or if you'd like to ask our guest, Danny, uh, if he'd like to, uh, any questions uh, you may want to ask him, uh, just give us a call uh, at 347-945-7428. Uh, just push the one on your number dial. I do see other folks uh, on the call if you'd like to uh, ask any question or chime in as well on our topics this evening. Uh, just push the one on your phone there, even for the Skype users uh, that I see. And so, give, yes, give us a call at 347-945-7428. And also, folks, uh, definitely check out the website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com uh, where you can do a number of things. We've got our Newsmax TV as well as our page where you can contact me and at the, also contact your friends with the email that I send out to folks. You can put that on your email list. I made it uh, pretty easy for everyone, very convenient, where you can just copy and paste what I have there, and you can send it off uh, with the link of the show to your friends on your email lists, as well as you can follow me, the host, uh, as well as uh, the page on Facebook, and also, and all these things, of course, would be appreciated. There's also tweet out the show if you are a Twitter user uh, as well. Uh, we also have there the Bard's Logic Newsroom, where you can find a plethora of articles on different topics, uh, most of them of course, conservative, of course, uh, but you can uh, see that on the website uh, as well. So check it out and subscribe to the newsletter uh, where you can get those uh, articles uh, where you can read those as well. And so uh, check that out on the Bard's Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring it back uh, to you, gentlemen, Kelly. And then uh, you, Danny, and then we're going to bring uh, Susan back in. And then uh, we'll you know, continue with uh, you know, the other portions of our show. Well, of course, we're going to be talking about the presidential election. Uh, you're welcome, Danny, to chime in about that uh, if you like. Uh, but, of course, with the position you're in, you may not be able to say a lot. And, of course, that would be understood. Uh, so, Kelly, apologize for interrupting you, but, you know, we've got to make these programming notes at the bottom and uh, top of each hour. So go ahead. Yeah, so in local politics, I'm, I'm going to lead to a tip a tip for you, Danny, that might help you. Um, sure. Code compliance ordinance, we have a code compliance department, all this blah, 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 $1,000 a day. And I'm like, look, people, this is ridiculous. And you need a Fourth Amendment um, a subpoena, a warrant to actually investigate. What's going on here, folks? Well, we got them to back down, although they passed it, they never enforced it. Um, so it's ridiculous. But come to find out, the community development department, the director, he has four departments, can't read plans. How do I know that? Because I submitted plans. He said, I don't understand them. That position should be elected. Yes. Now, if there's a position that people are really frustrated with that's appointed by the supervisors, like maybe a building official or something, if you can find out if, um, you know, if, if you believe this person should be elected, because in the counties, there's so many different elected positions, at least that way in California. If you can find a position that should be turned into an elected position, that could be something that could really help to get elected. Yeah, I agree. If you have any real authority over, well, especially, obviously, taxation, um, but anything else, like any enforcement or anything, I definitely think you have an elected official. These, I, like, I, I'm not too familiar how it is like when you're county or, or where you live. Specifically, Boone County, we have a lot of board appointments, like the judge executive, 
Clark County is able to appoint a lot of people or appoint a lot of people, and that's something that I feel um, pretty strongly about is that if you have any real enforcement or or taxation ability, you need to be elected to that position in order to exercise that right or exercise that uh, ability. Yeah, well, what I found in my, well, I said in my state constitution too, is that the Board of Supervisors can actually create the elected position. So this joker that has a degree in natural resource management is supposed to understand how to read plans. He can't. He should be elected. I think I should easily get that passed by a local referendum. Um, But I had to study the Constitution to see if the state would allow. And, yes, that uh, position can be created by the supervisors. That's perfect. And there's local government working for you at its best. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll let somebody else talk. Susan, we'll get, yeah, we'll go ahead and bring it uh, back over to you, Susan, because currently I am working on a media alert uh, that I will be bringing in uh, shortly, and that will have to do with uh, Hillary Clinton as well as uh, some of the latest polls uh, that I've seen here from Newsmax. Go ahead, Susan. Ah, uh, um, Well, you know, about the party thing, um, you know, there's the Tea Party, there's the Republicans. The Tea Party is technically a Republican. But um, <clears throat> I'm independent like you, Robert. So, um, unfortunately, in Idaho, you know, you kind of have to pick um, that you are or not. But um, Larry McDonald, um, this is the one thing you have to remember in politics is your true. Um, before voting on an issue, ask yourself the following three questions. One, is it constitutional? Two, do we need it? And three, can we afford it? This resulted in many no votes, which bothered a lot of people. Um, and that's what Representative Ron Paul Texas did, too. And Larry worked closely. Uh, you know, they were friends. And they both had that same attitude. In fact, Larry earned 100% approval from the Review of the News Conservative Index which was the forerunner of the Freedom Index published by New American Magazine. Um, and he told Ron Paul, he said, it doesn't matter which party you pick to run on, because he was a Democrat, but he wasn't. He, he, he just couldn't win on the Republican Party, so he ran as a Democrat, and he won. Um, he said, it doesn't matter. Just get in, get a party, who cares? Just do what you need to do. And... and um, uh, run in the party where you think you can. Or you can win. So no matter what, what party you pick, you stick to being you. And they can't they can't say anything, you know. I mean they can, but it's kind of silly too because if the people vote you in, who cares? And I and I hope you win this. So, um uh, that was good advice, and I think I I think Robert knows who Larry McDonald is of Georgia, the one that was shot. They, he was part of the plane that was shot down over Russia, um, um, years ago. So um, that that's the whole thing. Just stick to your guns, and important if you can afford it. Ask those questions before you vote. So. <laughs> That's what I have to 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, no problem. I, I, it sounds like you're going to do well. I really hope you do. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's nice to hear that, and we've got to got to keep well, working. The long roads are going to come, but I think uh, I think the people are ready. So, yeah, thank you. I I can't help you from Idaho, really, as far as giving you an endorsement or going door to door with you, but <laughs> I can wish the best for you. Well, thanks. Yeah, we have we have our own battles with Idaho to to fight, and uh, one of them was uh, they had the vote and the stuff on the con con, and uh, we we defeated it. So we are not going to the con con to to endorse that. So, um, but there's always battles here, just like there is in any state for different things. So yeah, well, yeah. So I said. Don't win there. Oh, come to Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Yeah, I'll make sure to uh, keep that in the back of my mind for sure. Well, this is interesting, folks. My keyboard's just going out. I can't even. There's. I can't even type some letters. I have to look at it. Get a different keyboard. I think I killed the keyboard. Um, uh, I guess it's been typing too much. I guess I need to get a new one. Speaking of killing the keyboard, uh, here's something, and there's part of uh, the media news alert. Uh, from News Fox, it says uh, Fox News poll Trump has double Rubio support in Florida, and they put on their their little quote to put that that uh, Trump is killing Rubio. And it looks like in Ohio, though we'll go to Florida in a minute. Uh, in Ohio, currently uh, Donald Trump, and maybe this will help him when he comes to Cincinnati uh, on Sunday. Is Donald Trump is actually behind? John Kasich, which it is Kasich State, right? But he is behind John Kasich, 34% Kasich, 29% Trump, Cruz 19, and Rubio. Who's Rubio? Oh, I'm sorry. Rubio at 7%. Now, Florida is a different story where it has Donald Trump at 43%, Rubio at 20, Cruz at 16, and Kasich at 10. Now, Florida actually had it's a winner takes off, and so uh, it's 99 votes or not votes, but delegates in Florida and 66 in Ohio. So we'll see how how that goes. And uh, one of the things I want to talk about tonight, and uh, if you want to, it's more political than than support at this point, uh, Danny. So if you want to. Uh, be a part of our roundtable discussion and give us your thoughts on that. Of course, you're welcome. And then also I said earlier uh, that I had a, a kind of a media, you know, someone sent me an article uh, about uh, what's going on with Hillary Clinton and her email scandal uh, that's going on with her. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get that article and I'm going to read it to us and then we'll uh, continue on. Uh, the the name of the article is why, uh, no, it's loading. It says, why the shocking, uh, why the latest shocking news from the FBI about Clinton's emails indicates she's going to jail. Now, that's just the headline, folks. I mean, you all know about headlines. And we're, not, we're not saying she's definitely going to go to jail, but that's what the headline's saying. But the article says, the Washington Post revealed last week that former Hillary Clinton presidential campaign staffer and IT professional that was responsible for setting up Clinton's personal email server has been cooperating with the FBI after receiving immunity from prosecution by the U.S. Justice Department. The staffer in question, Brian 
uh, Pegliano had previously invoked his Fifth Amendment right to self-incrimination and refused to testify when questioned by the House Select Committee on Benghazi led by U.S. Representative Trey Gowdy. The development is significant for several reasons. It points towards potential legal problems for Hillary Clinton in the very near future. First, Mr. Pagliano would only need immunity from persecution, prosecution if he had broken the law. Second, immunity can only be granted by federal prosecutors. So the criminal investigation into Mrs. Clinton's private email server is far more advanced and serious than anyone in the U.S. government has publicly acknowledged to this date. Thirdly, the Justice Department would only grant immunity if information that Mr. Pagliano's possession uh, possesses about a more significant crime outweighed the crime that he committed and if it was the public interest to do so. It begs the question, what does Mr. Pagliano know that makes him worthy of immunity? Well, Mr. Pagliano's connection to the case is that he set up and maintained the email server at Mrs. Clinton's request. So whatever information he has is more than likely about Mrs. Clinton herself and pertains to the ongoing criminal investigation. To date, the investigation has revealed that Mrs. Clinton and her top aides were found to have sent and received over 2,000 classified emails that all went through the Mrs. Clinton's private server in what appears to be a violation of U.S. law. What remains unclear is Mr. Mrs. Clinton's true motivation for using a personal server in the first place. Mrs. Clinton has publicly claimed that she did not uh, do so as a matter of convenience. However, her detractors question whether she did so in an attempt to circumvent the Federal Records Act, knowing that she was going to run for president. Her detractors also often point to the fact that Mrs. Clinton had her top aide and former State Department Chief of Staff Cheryl Mills conduct a review of her emails and decide which ones to turn over before having her server wiped clean as evidence of a potential criminal conspiracy. Fortunately or unfortunately for Mrs. Clinton, the FBI is said to have recovered all of those wiped emails and has spent months a month coming through them. However, Mrs. Clinton may be forced to testify about her motivations under oath. Last week, a federal judge elevated to the bench by President Bill Clinton, who is overseeing the Freedom of Information Act uh, suit related to Mrs. Clinton's email practices, questions Mrs. Clinton's decision to use personal email address through her own email server instead of a government-furnished one as required by the Federal Records Act. He pondered whether or not the decision might have been purposeful. He is currently considering whether to allow lawyers in the case to depose Mrs. Clinton and her top aides to find out. However, Mr. Pagliano's testimony might make that more complicated for Mrs. Clinton as any discrepancies in her testimony could open up to perjury charges, the same crime her husband, President Bill Clinton, was found guilty of and almost saw his removal from office. The next major step in the case will be for the FBI to interview the subjects of the investigation, and reports have surfaced that they would like to wrap up the investigation by early May. So it's highly likely that Hillary Clinton will be brought in for questioning by the FBI in the next four to eight weeks. It could end up the end up as the first major party presidential candidate to enter the general election under the cloud of an FBI investigation and a subsequent indictment. 
And so I want to bring that over to you, Kelly. Get your thoughts, and then Danny, and then Susan, uh, your thoughts as well. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, I find these news articles quite interesting in that reporters do not understand the process. So the FBI or others may investigate and find things, but ultimately it has to get to a grand jury, to a grand jury to issue the subpoena. Fifth Amendment, no person is to be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless under presentment or indictment of a grand jury. So the grand jury is the one who has to issue the indictment. Well, when they say <laughs> the FBI indictment, eh, wrong, the grand jury, uh, the Justice Department's going to give immunity, eh, wrong, okay. The process is very important here, and it's really good news. I'll get to the good news in a, in a minute. But the um, when you have witnesses around a situation um, and they – may have been advised by their attorney they committed a crime, um, they're going to need immunity. Immunity is where the judge says, okay, I will grant you immunity, and you will testify before the grand jury, and you will answer every question. If you don't answer their question, that's contempt of court, and you can go to jail. Um, So once the immunity is given, anything they say will never be used against them. They do this in trial court too, by the way. So immunity, the guy goes out, he spills his beans, uh, grand jury members are going to have their eyes wide open like, what? Oh my gosh, more subpoenas fly. You know, kind of like um, Watergate when grand jury indicted seven people and it took down Nixon back in uh, 1974. Uh, Anyway, so this is huge, and and first of all, this kind of court inside information, it's very hard to get a hold of the information that someone's going to be granted immunity. So something is going on, somebody leaked, and um, this potential for the Justice Department to help the grand jury is, is astounding because you would think Obama would want to try to protect Clinton, or they could blackmail her through the same entire process because it's been corrupted. But it, 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 it's the real thing, is what I'm trying to tell you. This is the real thing that Hillary could actually go down under a grand jury indictment, and it's over. And it, from my studies of indictments, even if they're not convicted, maybe the case is dismissed, about 90% of the time, once they get indicted, it's over. They're done. It comes out in the papers. They set up for trial. They're done, even if they're acquitted in, in a trial court. So this is fascinating that it's, it's coming to fruition. Um, I, I Maybe Obama just absolutely hates Hillary. And Hillary has said, well, if I'm going to go down, a whole bunch of people in Washington, D.C. are going to go down with me. Good. <laughs> Do you think she's going to be protected? Do you think that do you think that the Justice Department is going to protect her? Oh, absolutely, the Justice Department can protect her. Again, it's been perverted. The Justice Department should have no business in what the grand jury is doing, except for help with a little bit of legalese and this and that. It's grand jury's job to investigate fully on their own without any restraint. And the, the Supreme Court cases have spoken over and over. But the Justice Department gets in and they meddle and they protect those who they want to protect and they crucify who they want to crucify. 
Um, but to have a Democrat going after Democrat, or maybe somehow they're afraid that once he becomes president, it's going to leak out that they got a clean house within, you know, in-house, let's do some in-house cleaning before something else happens bad. I mean, this, this could really, if the Democrats deal with this in-house, um, it will help the Democrats long-term. If, let's say, Trump gets elected and and his AG is working well with the grand juries and they're busting the Democrats left and right and right and left, the Democratic Party could be destroyed. So it's a very sensitive, delicate balance. Um, so maybe maybe the Democrats are going to do house cleaning of their own house. It's just fascinating. But it's for real. What I, think, do you think? I, think it's, I think it's going to happen. What do you think, Danny? And, uh, well, and then we'll, we'll bring this question to folks, is that if, you know, if Hillary Clinton does indeed get indicted, do you think that the Democrat Party is going to go behind Bernie Sanders? It is a fascinating, uh, it is a fascinating thing to think about. And um, if they really is a jury or a grand jury indictment, then I mean, I don't think they'd have a choice. Honestly, I mean, that I think the Republican Party is kind of in the same same boat, right? If Donald Trump wins the nomination, is the Republican Party really going to ban them, or are they going to support them? So I think you know. This year's presidential race is something that I think could go down the history because it's one of the most fascinating races um, in history, at least in modern history. And, you know, as far as Hillary Clinton goes, she's already lied numerous times about numerous things, stemming just beyond her email scandal, right? And I think I, I think this is nothing new for her. I think this is nothing new for people who are who have been following her throughout her entire career. And I think, you know, it could be something that really does end her and this really could be the nail in her coffin. So I mean I guess we'll find out, we'll see. Um but as far as party affiliation goes and who they're gonna get behind, I don't think they have a choice to get behind Bernie Sanders and same goes with uh Donald Trump if you were doing the nomination. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, but first, uh, I'm going to bring this point up. But first, let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Susan. Um, the FBI, huh? So this is the same FBI that took out Robert to the voice. Do you trust the FBI? Because I don't. Now, either they'll take her out or they'll protect her. But whatever, they're rogue because they're not. You know they were they were part of that operation. So do I trust them? Uh uh-uh. uh no I don't. Um, I just uh, posted something about set up assassination alleged and FBI shots by Wilmot Daily, and it's disgusting. So no I don't trust the FBI. So uh, we'll see what they really do do if they are. Did you say do do uh, part of this? <laughs> do do. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. That's interjecting a little humor be, there. Yeah. Must be those peanut oh, oh, butter oh. sandwiches. <laughs> I had to bring that in, you know. <laughs> well, I want to. So, I want to um, throw out something uh, fascinating about the FBI versus the CIA. Um, in Watergate, the CIA was trying to protect Nixon. The FBI was trying to take him down. It's it's a weird in-house fight, you know, as far as government agencies. Um, 
So I, it's, it's, you know, Benghazi, that's CIA. FBI, oh, that's right, the server's in America. Their actions are in America. So there, there are still good people. Um, it, it could be that the FBI people are like, we're good, we love our country, we love the Constitution, and we're going to take Hillary down. Um, just, just like the Nixon fight between the CIA and the FBI. I mean, this could be, it, it's just going to be fascinating to watch this unfold. You're right. You're right about that. So I I don't know. I, I Bernie Sanders. That would be something if she gets. That would be something if she gets uh, indicted. That would be incredible. That would just be absolutely incredible. I'm sure Bernie Sanders would agree with you. Can anyone think of something that something like that's happened? Like in the heart, in the heat of a presidential race, like the leading candidate gets indicted. I, mean, I don't think that's ever happened, at least to my knowledge. Wow. Um, yeah. No, not not to my knowledge. I mean, that would be well. This would, you know, if there'd be any year for it, this would be the year for it, right? Right. Right. Well, I mean, come on, Robert. We have, you know, and I was talking to Bo, and she said, "How far and how low our country has fallen." She said, didn't Trump make a rude, crude gesture? And I said, oh, well, Rubio started it talking about his, you know, what size. And so, of course, oh, he yeah. with his hands. I said, it's, it's become ridiculous. It, other nations, why would they Really? Did you just it? say that? We're not even a barge logic after dark. You just keep throwing them out. You just said that. <laughs> what did you just say, Susan? But anyway, I know we, we need to cut that out because... We're 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 being recorded, and plus we got a, uh, a president. I mean, uh, uh, state rep candidate coming out there, and that part's going to have to be uh, deleted from our show. When you know if they they put this on YouTube, so we'll have to just continue. Uh, I mean, it's all it's all jokes, but you know, I don't. Some people might not like that. I don't know. Well, this here is what. What do you think, Danny? I hope we're no, we didn't ever cross the lines for uh, for your people who are going to be listening to this recording uh, of the show. I guess I'll have to maybe omit that part out unless they. Are, are okay with our humor. No, you're fine. I think they all watch President's debate anyway, so they all heard it. So, uh, but yeah, the, 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 you know, referring to those, those comments. But anyway, it ain't any, ain't any worse than what Vicente uh, Fox said, right? Um, and, and here's the thing I think for Vicente uh, Fox, that was just. Um, I think that just helps Trump because <laughs> really people are like, you know what? I mean, really, you know, you're the ex-president of a foreign country and we, well, if there's one thing Americans hate and, and that's, uh, you know, politicians or government people from another country trying to tell us what to do. So I think, I think the Sunday Fox just helped to Trump by doing what he did. But anyway, so one of the, one of the topics I want to bring up, because we're almost actually at the, uh, the, the bottom half of the hour. Maybe I'll just do this. Uh, a little bit early uh, since we we are there. We want to get into a new topic, and so I'm, I'm you know it's okay to do that a little early. So what we're going to do here now is we're going to go ahead and again hear from our uh, friends there at the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at Patriot 
pjnetjournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And definitely, folks, check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com and join the Twitter team, as well as check out the Bards Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Now, the next topic I wanted to bring up is Kasich is, as I said earlier, Kasich is up in Ohio. Trump is uh, up in Florida. Okay. There is an outside possibility that there would not be a single candidate on the Republican side to win all of the delegates. And we know what that means, especially those who've been with the show since 2012. And that's talk about a broker convention. Now, the Republicans did everything they could in 2012. How did I know this? Because I was part of it. To I wasn't part of stopping. I was trying to get a broker convention. Uh, but they did everything in their power, and you remember this, uh, Kelly, uh, to stop it. Okay. And now it looks like if they do not get, if one candidate does not, we're pretty much going to be forced into it. Now, I, my contention is, and you guys let me know what you think, and I'll start with you, Danny, is that let's say it goes to a broker convention. I think the only way to heal the party, and you guys know I'm not a Republican, so but anyway, the way to heal the party is to do what the voters want. And what do they want? By their vote, they want a, you know, because I think Donald Trump, I think he'll get the most delegates. He may not get enough to win, but he will get most delegates. And here's the way you heal the party, in my opinion. Let's see what you think. You Where you would have a Donald Trump be the presidential candidate with Ted Cruz being the vice presidential running mate. I think that may be the only way to heal the party if it, becomes, if it comes to a broker convention because you got the two candidates, you got the two candidates, get they got the most votes, you know, between the two. Obviously, they, you know, here's the thing. They'll be forced to be nice to each other. They'll be voiced to say, oh, it was just a campaign. That's why we said all these things. And we're, we're only doing this because, you know, it's what we're, we're, we want to live up to what the, the voters, you know, have, have put forth. And so they're covering their butts. They're bringing back the party. They're, they're still uh, exciting the base. They're exciting the people who voted for them. They're going to bring more outsiders in through Donald Trump and even some outsiders, you know, for Ted Cruz. I think that would be a win-win situation if there's a broker convention, and maybe that would be the best thing uh, to pan out. I think the second thing is, is if it doesn't go that way, if Trump does get it, then I think it's likely, at least the numbers are there, we'll see. Uh, that if he does it, perhaps Kasich, uh, who might be buying for a, a VP spot, uh, would be his presidential uh, VP or his vice presidential pick. Uh, whereas Emma's guaranteeing Ohio. And think about it: in a general election, if he gets Ohio and New York, and who knows, maybe even possibly California, Kelly, uh, then I don't think there's any way to stop a President Trump. What do you think, Danny? What do you think about the, the if there is a broker convention, that being? What can uh, mend the party and, and, and get them together to uh, support their ticket? Yeah, so I think there's a broker convention. Unfortunately, I don't see the Republican Party uh, unifying around Trump. Um, 
I mean, I think I understand the point you made there of saying, you know, the people thus far voted him as their as who they want to see as the Republican nominee. But I think if he doesn't get enough delegates um, to meet that nomination requirement, then it and it does get to a broker convention. I think I just can't see the Republican Party actually rallying around Trump to uh, to make that happen now. Does Trump need the Republican Party at a broad convention? Can he wheel and be himself and get it? I guess that is gonna have to be seen. I don't. If it is a broad convention, I don't see Trump being a nominee though. I, I think you know he will. Uh, he'll probably go down, and we'll probably see uh, a more establishment candidate like Casey Rubio take the nomination. So I, I think that's. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I want to make sure. I want. I want to make sure I heard you right. Did you say you think Rubio is going to come back and win the nomination? I said if it's a broker convention, I think the party will rally around an establishment candidate like a Kasich or a Rubio. Oh, okay. Okay, I was going to say, wait a minute. Well, but that would be stupid. I mean, I, I, I mean, I could see your point, and and in some ways, I would, I would agree with you. Unfortunately. Not that I, it's unfortunate that I'm ag- uh, agreeing with you personally. I just so fortunate because I think that would be a dumb thing for the Republican Party to do. Because you will get here's the thing. Let's say that happens. Let's say what you say happens. The Repo- we're going to see a President Hillary Clinton, and this is why. In 2012, the Republican Party and the RNC did everything they could to get Romney nominated. They disenfranchised their conservative base. It's like chopping off an elephant's legs and expecting it to go somewhere. It's not going to happen. The conservative base is the legs of the Republican Party. They are the ones who are going to put the boots on the ground. You chop off the legs by ignoring the conservatives in the party, you're, the elephant's not going anywhere. Just like the elephant didn't go anywhere, uh, the 2012 presidential candidate. Now, Donald Trump, he says, you know, Romney wasn't there the last month of the campaign. Romney had no chance. And we touted that for months. Romney had no chance whatsoever to win. To win none. He 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 was not. He was. Uh, and I said this months before even the uh, you know the general election. I said Romney he has no chance because of this. Well, there's many reasons, but one reason is you know is that he was a moderate Republican, and that you know, and at that time you know. There hasn't been a moderate Republican who's won a general election in 40 years, almost 40 years. Now, also, they so disenfranchised the the conservative and I would say the libertarian factions of the party to get Romney nominated, I would say coordinated, but nominated, that the conservatives and I would say even the libertarians of the party said, you know what? I'm either going to do one of two things. I'm either going to, one, stay home, and not vote, or two, I'm just going to vote for a third party. And so you had a large a large block of the Republicans say, forget it, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. We, we, you know, we have spoken, you guys screwed us over, and we're not doing it. So if they do what you suggested and say, you know what, we're going to put Rubio in with Kasich be the VP or vice versa, which I think that's how they would do it. I think they would, you know, I don't know how they would convince the delegates, but who knows? They, they, the, the things they did in 2012 to get Romney. But if they do that, 
and they, and they say, well, Rubio and then Kasich or whatever, then they're done. We will see a President Hillary Clinton because the base is going to do the same thing that the um, – you know, that they did in 2012. You know, I'm seeing all over the place, folks, and I'm sure you've seen it too. Well, I'm, I'm, especially on social media. Well, if Trump gets the nomination, I'm not voting. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not voting for. Uh, I'm not voting for Donald Trump, and I'm just not going to vote at all. Or I'm going to vote for a you know, third party, or whatever. Here's the thing. That's why I think that my idea will work, and it might actually work better for the Republican Party, much like the brokered convention would have worked for the Republican Party in 2012 by satisfying everybody. And when I mean everybody, I'm talking about the voters. Because you got Trump, you got you got Cruz in there. And for you know, because, and then the people who support Cruz are like, okay, well, okay, so we have to deal with, with, with Trump for four, maybe eight years. You know, Cruz is young, you know, Cruz could you know, keep, you know, Trump in line, what have you. But but Cruz is in there. Because let's say because if it's a regular election you know, I mean, if, if Donald does get the, the nominee nomination, there's no way there's no way that that he's going to pick Cruz to be his running mate. It's, it's, I just don't see that happening. I just don't. Okay. And so, the only way to do it is for them to use the excuse that, well, you know what? It's what the people want. It's what the people voted. Let's have these guys be. You know, you guys are going to have to work together for the better of the party. And so they're gonna, their hands are gonna be forced, so they can't. They'll have to use that in order to to get along. Otherwise, they won't have it. They, they just won't have any other excuse to get along except that. Okay. So a broker convention, once again, may very well be what you know gets the the party uh, victory. And if you look, you know, at history, there is you know historical data, historical proof that when you have a broker convention, Republican broker convention. You have general election victories. I mean, you could just, you know, you could just look that up. We discussed that in 2012. So, Susan, what do you think? Uh, well, what do you think about that? What do you think about my analysis? Well, Carl is plotting to make it on me the president, apparently. A lot of people are. So, and I'm not supporting Mitt Romney. And I despise Carl Rove. I don't understand why Fox loves him so much. But, uh, or fake news, news, whatever. Um, But I will say this. Bo and I were talking today, and there isn't one of them. Well, like she said, probably Rand Paul and Ben Carson weren't owned by anyone per se. But I read news for you. Trump owes billions to Wall Street banks. She told me this. And she is very, very good at what she looks up and she finds. And she said, if you see him or anybody who owes any money or any favors to the Wall Street banks, they're not going to snap their fingers and say, buddy boy, look here. You owe me. I can call him that dad. I can cause you problems. So you're going to do what I want. And it's the same way with Cruz. I mean, Kissinger, and he said, done with him. He's a great statesman. I mean, right then and there, I was done. You know, I mean, it's like... Oh, my gosh, everything Rubio, who knows who he owes favors to? They all owe favors, and as long as you owe favors, the banks or anybody, the movers, the shakers, the global elite, uh, they own your butt, okay? They will tell you what to do. They may allow you to do certain things to make it look good for a while, 
But ultimately, in the end, whatever their goals are for the New World Order, they will demand it, and you'd better play their game. And um, so I didn't know if he knew that about Trump, but he does. And um, which is one reason why Bernie Sanders, he stays away. Uh, no doubt Hillary is up to her earballs, eyeballs, whatever. Eyeballs, not earballs. Our ears and our eyeballs with, uh, with the Wall Street bankers. They, they have done harm to the years to so many. The control, they bankrolled World War II. Um, anybody connected to that? I'm sorry, I don't trust them. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to probably walk in and vote and say Rand Paul Revolution like I did today and raise my arm with a clenched fist. You know, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. It's 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 just making me sick to my stomach. All of them are. Kasich, I'm like Jesus, only better. Uh, right then and there, he lost <laughs> me. Um, you know, he's not like Jesus. He's not better than Jesus. Uh, I, each one of them, I could just run down the thing and just go, just gag me now, okay? What are we, what kind of people are we picking? Uh, or what kind of people are running for pity's sake? Nobody decent. George Washington is dead, sadly. Uh, otherwise, I'd say, please, uh, let's find George Washington. But that's not happening either. So, oh, Robert, maybe you should run for president. <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't run for president. Let me tell you, I would not get elected. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, Jesse Ventura is talking if Hillary gets nominated, he's going to run. Bloomberg is talking of a third party run. Everybody's splintering. It's not just the Republicans. What you know, Bloomberg—he's actually it's a third party. So I mean, I don't know what's going on. Everybody's splintering everybody off. Maybe they're trying to destroy both parties. I don't know anymore. I give up. I throw well, I would like to see the duopoly end and have multi parties. Personally, uh, you know, well, but I also, you see, here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma I'm facing is you know. I would love to see, you know, third parties. And, you know, I support, you know, third parties, Constitution Party, you know, I, you know, the Green Party in, in some aspects. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I, I do. But I also don't want to see a, a President Hillary Clinton. I just think that would be awful. I think it would be awful. For one, I don't – I mean, not that her policies are going to suck because she's going to do and expand on everything Obama has done. Mm. But also – you know, yeah. oh my God, I can't admit, I got to cover these things. Have some sympathy for your, your 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 host here, folks. I got to cover this thing. That means people could say, you know what, I've I, I not heard this this year, well, and for years actually. And I'm like, I'll talk to people, and they're like, like, are you going to watch the, are you going to watch the State of the Union? I'm like, I, I'm not going to listen to Obama. I can't stand to listen to Obama. I'm like, yeah, well, well, well I have to listen. I have to listen to Obama. Because I'm going to be covering him and covering what he said on the show. So I have to listen to him. Now, folks, America, if you like your host here, if you like me, do what you can for Hillary Clinton to not get elected. Because think about it. I will have to listen to her for four years. I will have to not only see her face probably, but I will have to listen to her voice for four years. Years, 
I may quit the show. I may quit the show for four years just so I don't have to. No, I'm just kidding. That's a little extreme. I'm just joking about that. But seriously, though, I will be grumpy. I will not be a happy man. You will hear me screaming and yelling. On, okay, that may not be true either. But seriously, folks, <laughs> I really don't want to have to listen to the other clips for you. So let's make yeah, sure that she doesn't get elected. That's what I'm saying. But let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and get Kelly in in the analysis. But before Kelly, just want to tell the folks who are listening out there that if you're new to the show, in about 15 minutes your audio is going to knock out unless you call into the show uh, within the next 15 minutes at 347-945-7428. I would suggest calling in uh, earlier rather than later so that you're able to get into the show uh, because the audio will cut out. Now, the show will still continue for, you know, it's supposed to be another hour, and it will be part of the podcast. Uh, however, it will not be, um, you know, not be able to hear it live. Uh, so if you'd like to uh, chime in or at least listen to that portion of the show, give us a call at 347-945-7428. And if you'd like to chime in, push the one on your number dial, and I'll make sure I get you into the show uh, for we can talk about our topics tonight as well as, uh, hear our guests and, and talk with our guests tonight. And that's Danny. Is it Seyfried? Did I say it right? Yes. Seyfried, you got it. Yes. Seyfried, awesome. And so uh, we can, uh, you can speak with him uh, as well. And so, but first, before we do that, so, you know, give us a call and uh, we'll be a part. It's not, I understand, I know Eastern time, it's getting kind of late for some folks. Uh, and we do have a, a caller like to get in. I'm going to uh, do some call screening in a little bit. And so if you need to just listen to the archive, the podcast, we appreciate that too. And of course, uh, if you share the link. So Kelly, let's go ahead. And while I'm doing some uh, call screening, why don't you go ahead and tell the audience here what your thoughts of my analysis are. The analysis or suggestion presented by Robert Getter, is the Hillary Republican Party, you have uh, Trump as president and Ted Cruz as vice president. <clears throat> well, in the event that Donald Trump gets shot or a heart attack or who knows what happens to him, um, we would need a vice president to immediately fill his spot. And that Vice presidential candidate, you know, to serve as president has to be constitutionally eligible. Well, if he's not, then we just go to the Speaker of the House and then there's a whole command down to the Postmaster General. But if the, um, you know, Minor versus Happerstead, again, is another interesting issue, but Judge Napolitano, I guess, clarified for us that he is constitutionally eligible. Yeah, well, if Cruz becomes president, who's going to be a justice of the United States Supreme Court? That would be justice, not Napolitano, which I would love, by the way. So you wonder what's the motive in, in coming out on Sunday night when uh, Napolitano said, Cruz is constitutionally eligible. Well, wait a minute. Versus Happersett, um, both American citizens, whether they're naturalized or natural citizens, have to be born on American soil. Cruz is qualified under the strict meaning of that. But there was laws in the 50s and 60s. Oh, wait a minute. Congress passed a law. No, 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 no. The Constitution makes it clear this is what has to be. If you want to change it, Congress, then 
appeal to the states for a constitutional amendment for missionaries and businessmen and military folk who are outside the country giving birth. So there are lawsuits flying already against Cruz. Uh, Trump has brought it up. Napolitano seemed to clutch that. That's one of the reasons why uh, Cruz has had a surge. <clears throat> so it's going to be really interesting because that would put us in a very vulnerable position if it was healed up by a Trump-Cruz uh, ticket, and then all of a sudden somebody comes through and says, Cruz isn't eligible. Whoops! It's like the Republicans are caught with their pants down. Are they going to win the general election now? Uh, because the Democrats are exploiting this weakness, this, this chink in the armor. So it's ee, a very interesting uh, situation. This whole election is probably the most interesting, although I'm not as passionate for any candidate as I was in 12, Ron Paul, but um, I, I'll, I'll have to concede, this is the most interesting, bizarre set of circumstances all over the place between the Democrats um you know, Hillary wins a, uh, loses the state, but still wins all the delegates. What's, what's the point then? The, the Republican side, all sorts of Republicans. I just, oh my gosh, bizarre, interesting. I don't think I'll. I hope I don't see another interesting election the rest of my life. But um, we're still in for a wild ride, and we still got many states to go. Gosh, um, I don't. You know, if if the Republican Party becomes fractured and people go third party. Again, April 1st on Fox, John, uh, John Stossel, Friday night, is going to have a libertarian debate. Five candidates, at least five. Uh, Max P is going to be one of them. But if the Republicans do a good job of fracturing their own party from their own blundering and their own lust for power, all or nothing, like kids, um, then we could possibly see a third party start to emerge. Probably not win, but it will start to emerge. So, I mean, that's another element of this whole interesting, um, sometimes I want to say, ain't my monkeys, not my circus. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what to say other than uh, it's a wild ride. Did I put everybody to sleep? Okay, engineers do that. By the way, since we're in the oh. after dog, after are we after dark yet? Can I tell a joke about engineers? No, I don't think so. Hello? So, hello. Well, I'm here. Okay. While we're waiting for Robert, maybe I put Robert to sleep. Uh-oh. Anyway. <laughs> nope, actually, I had myself, no, I actually had myself on mute uh, when I was doing the call screen. I forgot to open my mic back up. So let's go ahead and bring in John, and then after John, can we, I think you may have want to ha- have some comments or some questions for our guest, and then we'll see how much longer uh, Danny will be able to stay with us. But let's go ahead and welcome John. Thank you very much, John, for coming to the show. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. Thank you, Robert, and all the rest of the folks there and the guests and all. I did have a quick question. Since uh, Danny, I couldn't figure out how to spell his last name and he was telling his website could he the whole website so we know exactly how to spell his name and everything good idea go ahead Danny sure so Danny Stifery it's all lowercase and no spaces it's D A N N Y S E as in Elizabeth I 
F as in Frank, R I E as in Elizabeth, D as in dog, cyfreak.com. Appreciate it. Now, as far yeah. as as far as Robert, your little treatise on uh, what might happen, it, you know, it is such a gamble. And my, I think I even mentioned this before in the one of the past shows. Is my thinking is is Hillary Clinton is going to be too tangled up in a legal web that people will not want to even go with her when it comes to the general election. So before the Democrats' nomination process finishes, they're going to end up with Bernie Sanders anyway. And then with the way the Republicans are going and what Kelly was just mentioning about how Ted Cruz is not eligible as a natural-born status um, person and then uh, Marco Rubio being an anchor baby not fall under that same status. And if the Republicans try to pull this um, contested or brokered convention routine, we're really messed up because it seems like no matter who we get, they're all into this global, international, corporate governance nonsense that we the people are screwed, and they don't respect we the people's right to choose. You know, they're called our representatives when they get in the House of Representatives representatives or the Senate, but they don't advocate for us at all. So anyway, uh, you know, it just seems like it's such a toss-up, and the Demo- I mean, the Republicans are so splintered that by default, those of us, like you mentioned, Robert, yourself, that might look for a third party or even do a write-in, because, you know, I brought that up on the last show, because I'm concerned I want to look for somebody and I may even just write Ben Carson in, but I don't think that would help the cause from a Republican standpoint. And I'm thinking the Republican situation is so splintered that um, all of these millennials and people that have been really studying the concerns of our country – they look at the tax policy and, you know, the bankruptcy protection for businesses. And when you look at the taxes, you know, there's all kinds of grants and rebates and loopholes. And then you get these um, special government loans to Solyndra or, you know, ABC Battery or whatever these companies are. If you're politically connected or you're a lobbyist or something like that, you get socialism. There's all these protectionist type situations, you know, they get bailouts if they're too big or whatnot, and so a lot of these millennials and a lot of people looking around, they're going, well, hey, the elite and politically connected and the professional business class, they all got protectionism and socialism. You know, they got not only personal bankruptcy, they've got a second level of business bankruptcy to help protect them from going into a personal bankruptcy. So all these millennials and people that are questioning what's going on in our society, they go, well, hey, man, for the last hundred years, the elite class in our country have had socialism, and they get to privatize their gains and keep all the gains, but they socialize their losses if they have any losses, and the taxpayers pick it up. So the millennials go, well, I'm going to vote for Bernie because he's talking about socialism for all of us. If it's good enough for the elite, you know, insiders, and the corporate 
not good enough for me. And so we end up being stuck under Bernie. Now, that's just another perspective, but who knows really how it's going to work out. It's just sad that our system is so screwed up that nobody really um, seems to want to fix it. We just want to pander. As a matter of fact, i got a question for you guys. Um, I heard um, Cruz the other day said that he, he thought if there was a brokered convention, there was going to be um, a revolt all throughout the United States. But then tonight on Kelly's file, you know, Fox, they did a townhouse, a town hall meeting type thing with him. And that mm-hmm. question came up, and he he said contested convention. And now he's like, oh, well, that would be a good thing. And I'm like going, okay, what's really the difference between a brokered convention and a contested convention? Does anybody know? I really don't. I think it's one and the same. Uh, what, what, what do you say, Danny? Um, I think it's one and the same as well. I think it's just a different term. So that means Ted Cruz was played a flip-flop. The other day he said if it's a broker <laughs> convention, he disagreed with it, and everybody's going to have a revolt throughout the USA. But tonight, because it's a contested convention, and all of us, you know, seem to be on the same page that it's the same thing. He's all for that. And see, uh, I, I asked the question because I'm not sure I fully understand it. There we go. Con- okay, contested. Uh, I just Google Kentucky Convention 2016. Um, let's see. Well, this is a political. I don't know if it's, it's a video. I don't know if I'm going to watch it, but. Um, Let's see. Let's talk about Rule 12. Uh, okay, instead, um, I'll look that up in a, in a little bit. Uh, it says the GOP super lawyer on contested convention rule. Uh, in fact, that's not a rule. It says Republican presidential candidate likely won't have to abide by a 2012 rule of and folks, uh, looks like we only got about a minute and a half uh, while you can call in and uh, listen to the extended period where your audio will be cut off. So give us a call at 347-945-7428 uh, if you'd like to be in the extended period of the show. Kelly's lovingly pointed out Bard's logic after dark. And so that's the uh, number, 347-945-7428. Uh, thank you. And so, yeah, I'll look at uh, look that up, uh, whether it's the one and the same. That's this article I've got. Let's see. Yeah, I really don't say much about it, so I'll I'll, I'll look that up and see you know if there's a difference between a contested I'm uh, convention. I'm pretty sure it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that this was something that came on just. Right. Yeah, that's the same. About the same time you started this show tonight, I seen it. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's, it's it's pretty much the same thing, you know. And I guess I guess Cruz, by uh, making it a different word, was thinking perhaps that you know he could get away with it. But this is the top of the hour. We're into our our we're getting into our third hour. So we've had our guest here for a couple hours now. So I do want to give him the uh, opportunity to either uh, stay with us if he'd like uh, to be a part of the 
extended period or if he's got to go. Of course, we certainly understand and do appreciate as much time as you uh, have been able to spend with us, Danny. Uh, what's your thoughts? Uh, do you have to uh, bow out for this evening? Or are you able to stay with us, or what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think I'm going to bow out. i got to go to work early. It's 12 a.m. every year on the, on the Eastern Coast, or the Eastern Standard Time. So, yeah, I get some sleep before work. But I really appreciate being on the show. You guys were great to talk to. And um, really, I hope I can come back soon because, like I said, it was an awesome conversation tonight. Well, definitely. And, you know, we've had uh, Mr. Bevan on uh, a couple times uh, for his election. And, well, he's governor now, so who knows? Maybe we'll be able to you know, give you a little uh, boost for, with some folks there as well uh, for state rep. And so also, uh, you know, let's def- definitely uh, either through uh, a mutual friend of ours or, uh, you know, me giving you a call, let's uh, see if we can set something up for Sunday if uh, you'd like to get together and perhaps we can go to that, uh, that Trump rally and, and see what we can do there. Yeah, that'd be great. Um I'll see if I, I think my your number, so I'll reach out. But yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's it's a, it's a uh, the rally itself is at nine a. Uh, they're opening the doors at nine a.m. on Sunday, and so of yeah. course you'll probably know. I, I'm I'm planning on getting there much earlier. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, but the, I know that at the Duke Energy Center downtown. Yeah. So you plan to get there when, like six? Well, I'm not going to say exactly what time I, on air that I'm going to get there. Uh, but I will, <laughs> we will uh, discuss that when we're uh, off air. Great, sounds good. Okay, we'll sound. Uh, we'll see you then, and then uh, you know, we'll talk soon. And thank you very much uh, for coming to the show, Danny. And uh, we'll definitely uh, get you back on. Thanks. Sounds good. Thanks again, guys. All right. Take care. Bye. And folks, right. and folks, Bye. Uh, check out. A... Oh. <laughs> he, he, we lost him uh, But yeah definitely uh, glad to have him on the show uh, Of course we like to have local You know politicians on uh, Help them out where we can And uh, and, and it definitely is It is uh, important for us you know, well, I mean we are concentrating of course because of the time You know on the national election uh, But definitely the uh, Local elections are important If and some would contend And I think uh, our good Fred Ed The anti-federalist would contend uh, That the local elections are even more so uh, more important uh, than the presidential election because we, you know, what the states and the localities can do in order to, uh, you know, kind of rally against uh, what the federal government's trying to do. Uh, in time, we are going to just kind of open it up to, uh, you know, the Bard's Logic After Dark. And then next week, we're going to try to mix it up a little bit. Uh, we will be talking about, of course, the Super Tuesday next week, a huge week. Huge Tuesday with both Florida and Ohio to, in play, and they are, of course, winner takes all. Uh, so that's going to be important, as well as it is the day before St. Patrick's Day. So I'm going to try to find, you know, some kind of way of, of putting maybe not so much St. Patrick's Day in there, but definitely something that is Ireland related. And, and probably at least what my my goal is is to talk more about the Irish uh, political system, uh, perhaps something. Uh, other than that, uh, I did have a friend who uh, came on. It might not be enough uh, uh, time for him. He's a very busy guy. He's an expert in Irish politics. Uh, maybe I'll reach out to him to uh, to do to come on to the show. So within only being a week, uh, and since it'll be tomorrow that I get a hold of him, uh, be less than a week. So I don't know if that'll be uh, quick enough order for for him to do that. 
uh, be able to come in. So we'll see uh, what we can do uh, with that. That's why, folks, I need to do this for a living so that I could spend all of my time or most of my time doing this instead of having to uh, worry about uh, work tomorrow. But anyway, <laughs> I say that a little tongue-in-cheek with uh, some seriousness as well. Um, but let's go ahead and um, bring it uh, back to you, Kelly. And, you know, there's uh, some things you're like, is it Bard's Logic After Dark yet? So perhaps you had a topic you want to bring up that's good for Bard's Logic After Dark. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I figured out how to win the war in Iraq. Do tell. Okay, so here's 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 the problem right now. Um, ask any vet. When you're in a war where you're kind of an occupation force, be it Vietnam, be it uh, uh, the war in Iraq or Afghanistan, uh, even the Revolutionary War, the biggest problem was you can't tell friend from foe. Who is friend from foe? You don't know. People who you trust can end up killing you. People that you should trust, you don't. Innocent people who uh, you think are the bad guys, you kill them. And then what happens is the local community gets really upset at the occupational forces. All sorts of problems emerge because you don't know friend from foe. So here's a way to figure out who's friend and foe in Iraq. Basically, you come in. Well, we're already there, but you give everybody uh, free computers and free cell phones. And from that, you'll get all sorts of information. You know, you get the use of Facebook, even promoted in the schools, so that Everything is known about the person by basically what they're posting, um, what their calls are. You've got to have a big database called the uh, Iraqi Security Agency, the ISA. And uh, what else? Oh, you bring in the big corporations, you know, uh, Walmart, Ace Hardware, uh, Rite Aid, Pharmacy, all sorts of uh, commercial. And, and uh, offer the rewards cards. Yes, the rewards cards, because from... Everything that they buy, sell, talk about, post on their email, internet, everything, you will know everything about them and you will know their associations with known terrorists. And therefore, you know friend from foe. It'll take about five years to set up. And then once all this intel is in place, you go round up the bad guys and you win the war in Iraq. Now, why did I say that? Because I have some very Pollyanna news. You know what the Pollyanna news is? They'll never... Yeah. Do that in America. They'll never do that in America. No, 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 no. We still have our guns. Iraq, they don't have the guns. They're still having trouble conquering the country. We have our guns. They'll never conquer our country because in my Pollyanna world, they'll never know friend from foe. They don't have the intel on us to know friend from foe if they want to take over the country. Isn't that a lovely thought? No. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Yeah, so friend from foe. I had a uh, haunting realization the other day um, when I realized that's why they want our intel. Yeah. Because hmm. then they can grab our guns. They can do precision, not precision bombing, but precision uh, extraditing, precision three in the morning, grab people and put them in some kind of a camp. Um, so what if you got a gun? Well, if we round you up first, and the other people who are neutral and not really terrorists, who cares? 
it's pretty frightening when you realize why they had to have the NSA and why they had to spy on the American people and why they had to have a war because that will justify that they're a terrorist in America and then we have to know everything about you. Am I, am I starting to unnerve you right now? With this realization? Maybe a tad. A tad, yeah. No. It, it, it's it's not for a corporation's best interest to help people save 10% because they have a rewards card, you know? <laughs> it's just, it's just, there's something behind this. Intel gathering. I mean, they already know who's got guns, so that's not a question, but... Yeah, it was quite concerning. Let's see, what else? Um, Trump and Cruz, 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 Cruz. Somebody called into Alex Jones the other day, and it was interesting. He said, you know, uh, Cruz has missed 25% of, of his votes as senator. 25%? It's like, what, do we got to do, hire another senator to take your place? What's the deal here? I mean, every four years, we got to hire somebody to you know, replace you because you're not doing what the heck you're doing. So it's true, he's missed 25% of his votes. Fine. But yet at the same time, whatever he votes on is a very high constitutional rate. Very high constitutional rate. Oh, that's that's hey, that's good. Yeah, the seventy-five percent of your votes here got a high constitutional rate. Wait, wait, wait. But of those twenty-five that you missed, Mr. Cruz, is it possible that you would have voted against the Constitution in those twenty-five percent that you missed, and thus? taking your constitutional rating down substantially, substantially, substantially. In this emergence, a suspicion. Hmm. What's the suspicion? The suspicion is he has the appearance of a constitutional congressman. The plan has been going on for a long time. This means that the establishment has been grooming him for years. Hmm. The only thing true, I can tell you, yeah, he's missed 25% of his votes. I just certain things aren't adding up about Cruz anymore. As much as I've liked him, I'm just having a lot of suspicion. Well, can I jump in? Yeah, go ahead. And then yeah, uh, Susan sent me an article, and I'm going to read that. Go ahead, uh, John. And then I'm going to read that article Susan sent me. Thank you, Susan. Um, well, Kelly, <laughs> Kelly was saying that um, Ted Cruz something just doesn't add up. Well, I thought it was kind of ironic, too, that when they were trying to pass the Trans-Pacific Partnership, you know, I'm kind of one of those nuttos that like to watch C-SPAN and actually see the votes and hear from the horse's mouth. And they all, I think there was one guy, Tom Cotton, I believe, is from Arkansas. He was the only one that contested giving fast-track, you know, that uh, fast-track trade promotion authority to Obama for the Pacific Partnership so they could basically trade our sovereignty. And I think that kind of goes right in. Cruz hasn't totally been honest. Another thing I wanted to point out that's kind of complicated or complex, and, you know, um, like Kelly was saying, they're using these different means to collect our information and data to know everything about us. I mean, you have the NSA... You have the CFPB, you know, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They're all data mining your stuff. The Obamacare itself 
is supposed to have the doctors data mining your stuff. Even supposedly there were questions mm-hmm. about do you own a gun or have you ever thought certain thoughts and stuff. That if you go to your doctor, they're supposedly going to ask these questions, and some people tried to get them omitted. And when you look at all the different sources that they're trying to use, even the you know registry of your gun, if you do buy one through a source that you have to register and get a background check and all that, well, gee whiz, all they have to do is just put a licensing thing on the psychiatrist and say, well, from now on, all psychiatrists have to clarify whether this particular person that wants to own a gun has the mental capacity to own one. And they just tell the psychiatrist, hey, look, if you don't do what we want you to do, we'll yank your license and you won't be able to make any money anymore and you'll have to go do mm-hmm. something else. So all the people that we want you to, you know, say they're not so we're not stable enough to own a gun, then you're going to have to do it. And like Kelly said, they're using all of these different sources than those that I mentioned too just a while ago. And your local city law enforcement group, they're, they have special investigation teams that have the stingray equipment and all this data mining capability, too, to phone tap your stuff. And some of them, they'll do it regardless of whether they have a court order or not or a warrant. They don't – who's going to know? Nobody's going to tell. They're all good buddies, and as long as you, you know, in that little group of buddies and, hey – we're doing this for security and safety reasons, you know, and we just happen to stumble on this one. And, you know, they have infrared cameras and stuff that they can use. They put them on drones, and then they fly them high up in the air, and they can see you right in your house, wherever you're at, doing whatever, you know. And that way it's kind of like a x-ray almost. You've seen how the firefighters use those heat sensor type um, goggles or night vision like in the military. So they can mm-hmm. see in certain Well, shoot, they they don't even have to go in your house. They can put them on a drone and do it from, you know, a number of feet up in the air and stuff, and it's like looking at an x-ray into your house to know what you're doing and whatnot. And, and if they want to um, frame you or whatnot, and you just happen to have a certain something or other, whatever, you know, go on. They're watching your bank accounts through the um, – Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and now they just use that against you because they don't give you or I a option for our advocacy where our will is included, you know, enacted, codified, and ratified into all laws so that we know that the laws will always be fair to all of us as long as the oligarchy gets to run roughshod over our intellectual property and deny us, deprive us of our due process rights of mutuality of agreement, you know, good faith bargaining, good faith negotiations in governance, then they can pass the rules and laws that they want to hold us accountable to and we're supposedly obligated to. And so they can make up laws to make us guilty of almost anything and then frame us for it. It's ridiculous. And they can do it after the fact, almost retroactive. Because most people in the media don't question very deeply on stuff. That's why you hear in the media people saying stuff about, oh, this guy, this and that, you know, and make them look bad like they're trying to do to Donald Trump. And you all know I'm not a big Donald Trump fan, but I can't stand these crooked crooks in the media and in our um, government and even our 
political parties manipulating people for certain reasons. It irritates me. Now, I don't have a problem with them saying what they want to say because we all are voters and we're all going to say why we agree with certain candidates and we disagree with other ones. But when they're trying to pull this contested whatever convention nonsense, it just irritates me. And then when they're lying to us about the U.S. Freedom Act and the Patriot Act and all these different things, and they're in, they're data mining and spying on us, and then they're not allowing us to have the same like kind power. When's when's our day to go up there and use the technology to track them? They get a pass and an immunity. <laughs> but, yeah. But anyway, I ring. I relinquish the floor. Well, I I appreciate um, <clears throat> that you caught my analogy. How to win the war in Iraq. And I forgot a, a key feature of this plan. Free toaster when you open a bank account. Yes, a free toaster. <laughs> you remember those days? Open a bank account. Get a free toaster. But that's what they did. That's what they did in China in order to um, limit the amount of, you know, kids that they have. Like if you get sick or, you know, you have somebody you can't have kids anymore, then they... Give you a today that that's what they did. They gave you a toaster or something crazy like that. <laughs> so let me go ahead and uh, go get the article that read the article that Susan uh, sent to me, and so we'll uh, we'll read that off. And uh, and thank you, Susan, for that. It says uh, the attack on Trump's. So the attack on Trump's wife, deja vu all over again. Now, this comes from the Huffington Post, so, you know, take that, you know, take it as it is. But still, um, it says, according to the Huffington Post, uh, the Republican establishment, Karl Rove, and the top CEOs of the world met on an island off the coast of Georgia last weekend. A big part of the meeting was dedicated to how to destroy Donald Trump. Let's hope that the volley level of Donald Trump's wife, Melania, on television Tuesday was not part of their plan. July, last July, uh, compared Donald Trump to Andrew Jackson soon after the comparison started showing up in the mainstream media. The facts are startling. I reviewed some of them again in recent television appearances and in a blog post. Now, sadly, there is yet another comparison I can only hope won't be repeated. In 1828, in in the middle of a bitter presidential campaign, the political establishment became frustrated by their inability to take down Andrew Jackson. He was opposing their call for a second national bank. He was from the West. All six American presidents had come from the East Coast. He was a Presbyterian. They were all Episcopalian. He had no governing experience. They were all members of the national political aristocracy. The two came from the same family. Four had been Secretary of State. But Jackson was tough. He carried several bullets in his body from wars with Indians, the British, and personal duels defending his honor. When establishment attacks on him backfired, his angry political enemies turned on his wife. Rachel Jackson uh, Jackson was savage. Yesterday, in an eerie reflection of this historical rerun, a supporter of Ted Cruz lashed out against Melania Trump. It happened on Your World with Neil Cavuda on the Fox News channel, on the Fox News channel and seemed to take down, take the host by surprise. Andrew McWilliams said that if Donald Trump won the White House, his wife Melania would become the only first lady to have been the president's third wife. She would be the only first lady to have posed for photographs in the nude. 
what was that? But I'll be interesting where I Google that. But anyway, no, we are in Bard's Logic after dark. But anyway, and she would be the only first lady in 100 years to have been born outside of the United States. Well, better than our president being born outside the United States. But anyway, here are the facts. Here, Melania Trump was a model born in Slovenia. She appeared on the cover of Vogue, Vanity Fair, and Countess Magazine. She is fluent in five languages and has devoted years, devoted recent years of her life to charity. She's only been married once, and that to Donald Trump. Meanwhile, after Andrew Jackson's wife, Rachel Jackson, was accused of adultery, bigamy, and called a horde by the opposition preachers and politicians. It all stemmed from some discrepancies between the dates of her divorce to a first husband who had disappeared and her later marriage to Jackson. And boy, I'm looking at a picture of her, and she wasn't nearly as attractive as Melania is. But anyway, um, Rachel, a devout Presbyterian who seldom left their hermitage plantation, was protected from the accusation. In December 1828, after Andrew Jackson had been elected president of the United States, she ventured into Nashville, Tennessee, to buy dresses for the White House. She wanted to look her best for the inauguration, and she wanted to be an accommodating hostess for the nation. In the store, she found stacks of old newspapers, and in spite of attempts from her friends to keep her away from them, she insisted on reading every line. Thus, Rachel Jackson was finally exposed to the sensational accusations that had been leveled against her for months during the bitter campaigns. The political opposition had taken every opportunity to trumpet their own interpretation of events of her life. Some of the quoted comments were quite salacious. Rachel Jackson, wife of the president-elect, was stunned. She went into a mental and physical decline. On, April 18, or on December 18, 1828, she collapsed and was ordered to bed. She died four days later and was buried on Christmas Day. She never wore the beautiful dresses from Nashville. She never set foot in the White House. Her husband, the president, mourned her loss by gazing at her miniature and reading from her Bible every night for the rest of his life. We can only hope that yesterday's attack on Melania Trump was an aberration and that the men and women of the Republican Party establishment will pause a moment to consider their own wives and sons and daughters and do what they have done to protect their riches without hurting the wife or families of the opposition. Wow, that is, as our friend Kelly would say, is stunning. Yeah. I've studied Henry Jackson. Um, he is a, um, an anomaly. Well, you start out with he was he was known as the hero of New Orleans when uh, the War of eighteen twelve. The British tried to invade Louisiana. He and a few other people routed him, the local militia, and they, and they just they just kicked the British. I mean, it was it was terrible. So he got this national attention right away. As the hero of New Orleans, and I think he ran uh, a couple times and became president. But his the the big controversy with him spun the story. The spun the story that he married another man's wife. And back in those days, that's like the death sentence. That's just evil, bad, bad, bad. But it was big controversy and what have you. But he did it anyway. Um, and he he hated the Bank of America, and they shot him twice. Or they shot at him twice. There, there was an assassination attempt um, before right. he was to nullify the Bank of America, and the flintlock pistols did not fire. 
two of them. And he terminated the, uh, well, actually, before he got his chance, this was his second term. His first term in re-election, he was saying, do you want me or the banks? Me or the banks? It's called Bank of America. Bank of America. Yeah, if you have a Bank of America branch, go to your local uh, credit union. But the Bank of America was like the Federal Reserve's day. had a 20-year charter renewable by the president. Not Congress, the president. And so he, um, towards the second term, says, me or the banks, I'm going I'm to terminate their charter. So he gets um, elected, um, just like Trump, the American people figure out, you know, all this powers that be, propaganda, baloney. So he ran, got elected second term, and immediately, he had two years to go, immediately before he could terminate the Bank of America, he was at war with them. He took the United States Treasury... And he took that money and put it into state banks, not into the Bank of America. When the federal government's money was going into the Bank of America, Bank of America was gladly and quickly loaning all sorts of money to congressmen. Oh, isn't it interesting? So he took the money out of their hands, put it in state banks, and um, they retaliated right away by um, stop loaning money. And pretty soon the economy... Uh, was hurting bad. I mean, really bad. So bad that people were writing their congressmen, impeach Andrew Jackson, impeach this guy. He's selling our economy. And the House of Representatives did approve impeachment. It went to the Senate, and the Senate uh, said, well, look, he hasn't done anything unconstitutional, so we're not going to convict him. So he remained the president. He also did something stunning, which was he brought the federal debt down to $33,000. Gee, in a good year, I could have paid that off myself. I know. Yeah, yeah that's wow. what he did. Yeah, he brought the national debt down this big whopping $33,000. Uh, well, of course, you know, I know back then it was probably a lot, but still. Well, yeah, okay, multiply it by maybe, I don't know, maybe 100. That's still a ridiculously low number compared to today. So, anyway, so he gets impeached, and something happened where the economy started turning around and turning around and turning around. So he served a second four years, and then he um, and and about two or three years after he was out of office, the economy was absolutely booming again, and people realized he was another hero of our nation, which was the hero of New Orleans became the hero of the American economy and a stable economy based on the gold standard and get rid of these private bankers. They hated him. They even had one of his best friends convinced that. They went to a cliff in Maine and they're in this vacation, and this guy says, "Hey, why don't you renew the charter?" He says, "You know what? Only if God tells me Himself." But as strong as these cliffs are resisting the centuries of waves coming upon this land, I am resolute against the Bank of America. I will terminate their charter. And so that's it's a fascinating. Um, it, why do you think there was was it four, over over forty private jets? I believe it was Jekyll Island, Georgia. That's where they met, and Carl Rove gave a big presentation. Like, hey, yeah, uh, um, yeah, Carl, you're one of them. You're establishment. That's stinking obvious. Oh, big time, they are yeah. Scared. Yeah, they are scared. They are scared of Trump. He might be a new Andrew Jackson. Interesting. So that would be a. Uh... Uh, definitely, um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. It's, is, is Donald Trump today is Andrew Jackson? Interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, analogy. So what do you think about uh, the analogy, uh, Susan? You gave us the article, and then, John, uh, you tell us what uh, your thoughts are on that. Oh, I, I thought I knew some of the stuff about Jackson. He said, I killed the bank. Um, it's too bad. It's, it's too bad the wife, you know, suffers uh, because of this. But um, I, I, I have never gone after, no, I didn't go after Romney for his religion. I didn't go after um, and people did. Uh, Obama for his race, I didn't go after, I, I won't go after his wife. Um, it's just not right. And it was not nice back then, obviously, either. But um, he must have really loved her to continue reading her Bible and all that stuff. She sounds like she died of a broken heart. Or I don't know. Hopefully this gal will be stronger. But uh, I'm just saying that I don't think it's right to go after those kind of things. They married them, they're there, and leave them alone. Just go after their political stances. You know, why do you have to go after other things? Go after them for what they stand for politically. Isn't that what this is all about, is the political stance? Not about, well, the kid's ugly or something else, you know. Stupid. I don't like it. And John, go ahead. What about uh, Donald Trump as the the next uh, Andrew Jackson? Yeah, I don't know that I really understand enough of that. So I think I need a pass. I need to dig in a little bit deeper and understand more about it before I could really pass a good decision or informed answer. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Well, I do see uh, we are at the bottom of the hour. Uh, so, folks, if uh, you're passing through and you're listening uh, to this part of the show, uh, then uh, check out also the website by going to www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com, uh, where you can follow me on Twitter, and you can also uh, tweet out the show as well as contact me on the contact page where you can also find the email uh, that I sent out the list to uh, folks, and you can send it out yourself, and that would be, of course, appreciated. So it does look like we got about uh, 20 minutes before we have to uh, shut the things down for the show. Uh, and so, what, of course, at this time of the night, uh, what I like to do is to uh, get some the closing thoughts by folks. And I, this time we got plenty of time. So if each person wants to uh, prolong that way, anything with our guest tonight, uh, anything you'd like to mention about him or about uh, the need for local conservatives uh, in our elections, because we can't forget about them as well. I know it's uh, important for the – a lot of focus, of course, is on the presidential election, but there are also some local elections that are important as well. So we uh, not to forget about those, and uh, one way of not – forgetting about those and helping people to remember that they exist is for all those out there to take the the link uh, that they use to get in tonight and to uh, put it out for folks 
uh, can listen to our guests uh, tonight, and that can be helpful for, of course, us, him, and, and, and you know, everyone else. So let's go ahead, and we'll start uh, by Susan, uh, one that will, of course, give deference to the lady we have on here, and then we'll give it to you, John, and then Kelly, and then I'll close things out. I do see uh, some other callers, so if you'd like to make some uh, comments before the end of the show, just push the one on your number dial, and we'll get in. But if not, I uh, want to thank you for listening uh, to the show and appreciate you share uh, the link out as well, either through the Twitter uh, button I have there on the homepage of the website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com, or if you go to the contact page of the website and copy and paste the email letter that I send out those to our email list. Uh, so uh, check that out and share it that way, and I appreciate you coming to the show and, of course, uh, sharing the link out as well. So let's go ahead and go over to Susan, and then, as I said, John, and then Kelly, and then myself, and then, unfortunately, for the night, I'll have to uh, close things out. And, of course, next week we'll be talking about uh, the next Super Tuesday, as well as uh, definitely going to throw in some something about Ireland uh, there, because, of course, the next day after next week's show is uh, one of my favorite holidays, uh, probably my second favorite holiday, which is St. Patrick's Day. And so let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Susan. Go ahead. Oh, I just found an interesting article. Remember we talking about the FBI and Hillary. Apparently, the director is becoming a political problem for the White House. His demand that Apple help unlock an iPhone um, is a source of, you know, it's becoming a problem. He's staying with Hillary, um, he's stirring tensions with Black Lives Matter movement and gaps in the screening process for Syrian refugees, the murder of, um, you know, the guy in Oregon. And uh, so they're having some problems with him. This is why I don't, uh, they're ruffling feathers in the administration. Um it, it sounds like they have some real problems with the FBI. I'm not saying everything they're doing is wrong, but they are apparently just becoming very aggressive. And that aggression can work for or against you. In the case of the Burns Oregon thing, it obviously wasn't too good. In the case of Hillary, that's fine. I don't understand. And in the case of Apple, they need that. I, I don't agree with them on. I'm sorry, I stand with Apple on that. I don't want them to unlock phones and get into my stuff. As for the ruffling of feathers of the Black Lives Movement and everything, I can see that causes a problem with the White House. Uh, so um, I, I'm just not real comfortable with the FBI and what they're doing. So we'll have to see uh, what actually happens. You know what, hopefully you still have to do something. Um, Go ahead. I said in the future we'll have to keep an eye on the FBI and the CIA. You know what, hopefully they do something. Um, As I believe Kelly pointed out, it might be something that, um, you know, with a little infighting going in between them. Right. Who, who can one-up, and then you throw the administration in. <laughs> He's got a mess, just like in the 
in the political stuff with their opponent. This is a mess. And the thing is, the country suffers. It's you know, it's we the people that suffer because of that. not not them, any of them. So that's pretty much it. Okay, well then let's go ahead and uh, bring it over to you, John. Yeah, I kind of share the same thought as Susan. Um, I definitely applaud Tim Cook and Apple for standing up and showing some backbone because this is, I hope there's a bigger discussion out in the open in the public about the true foundation of our Constitution and why the people that work inside our government are citizens just like you and me and they're not supposed to be able to use that power or have that power to manipulate us. You know, we're supposed to be together. It's, you know, United States of America. You know, united we stand, divided we fall. And if we aren't sympathetic or sensitive to every legal United States citizen, then we're going to continue to be divided. And that's why it keeps coming up in these conversations that we're sick and tired of the two-party system. And I don't have a mm-hmm. problem with collectively getting together and and deciding that they want their particular candidate. But when they rig the rules to shut out other people from being able to play fair, you know, it's like independence and like you were saying, Robert, Green Party and there's Constitution Party and there's, who knows what other kinds of parties there used to be the Whig party, the reform party and the populist party, but nobody else gets to participate with at the same level. I mean, the Republicans and the Democrats, if they bring forth a candidate, that candidate does not have to prove their eligibility to be president. But if an independent or any third party, you know, group comes together, they got to pay all these extra special fees and process all this extra paperwork and prove their candidates are actually, you know, um, natural-born citizens, and or they can't even get involved. And so, you know, my, I really struggle wondering what in the world are we going to do to help all of these people that are in positions of authority and exercising this power that we're all equal governance, not equal in dollars or equal in peanuts or equal in houses or equal in cars. We're equal in governance, and nobody has the right to govern you but you, and only you decide what encumbers you, what, you know, I've said before, burdens you or however you want to look at it. And as long as we, the people, are too stupid to understand that we own our own self-determined governance and these people are colluding and depriving us of our due process rights of good faith negotiations, good faith bargaining, and you know mutuality of agreement and governance, then we're going to continue to have this oligarchy of fascist slave drivers manipulating us through um, fraudulent misrepresentation and extrinsic fraud, and they're using our property, intellectual property, self-determined governance, and they are going out and using it for their own gain in order to maintain their power and to manipulate their will in the laws and not allowing you and I to have our will mutually and reciprocally included in all those laws and governance, and then they tax you and make you pay for it on top of that. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, not only do you have to pay to participate because they're going to extort 
extort it from you or, you know, hold you under duress and send a person at the point of a gun to hold you accountable. And they use that kind of violence, but they wouldn't talk about it as violence. Oh, they wouldn't say to say that it's about violence. I'm like, well, if you got a guy that works for you that's either your bodyguard, your own personal security, or you have the authority through our government to call out the law enforcement, then you're using a weapon against me, and you're depriving me of my equal status as an equal citizen. So I'm just trying to figure out what's an appeal that we can make to make sure that all of these people that we entrust our power to, that they wake up and smell the roses before a real revolt kicks out. Because at some point, people get sick and tired of being told what the rules are. For example, all these people complaining about cops being shot, well, the cops are stuck between a hard place and a rock. And I may have mentioned this on mm-hmm. one of your shows. It's really sad. Here's our politicians passing laws without the consent of the governed. Therefore, they're subversively circumventing the will of the people. And then they tell the law enforcement group, go out and enforce our will. We'll be obligated to it. These people out in the common world, the everyday common citizen says, hey, wait up. You've deprived me of all my rights. You're circumventing my will, and you're trying to tell me I'm accountable to your will. The rule of man deceitfully masquerading as the rule of law under the color of law? No, that ain't happening. You can't send out your little henchmen, Gestapo, you know, boot thugs to hold me accountable to your will and then, you know, use weapons on me, and then I don't get to stand up like George Washington and defend myself against you when you're acting like King George of Great Britain? Get real. So we got to get some people talking sense and real practical caring about each other where we all look at each other as equally significant, equally valuable, equally important, and equally worthy of deciding self-determined governance, or we're going to end up just going like a third world country survival of the fittest only the strong survive take or be taken eat or be eaten and it's not rocket science i mean if i can explain it it's definitely not rocket science so i uh, give you back the floor well the floor uh, the floor that you're giving it to is to uh kelly so kelly go ahead well i gotta ask you a question robert have you ever played golf? <laughs> Once. Once? Okay. Well, if you play it several times, you learn a number of interesting things. I've been playing for years, and somebody said, you know what? Irons are damage control. That's all irons are, they're damage control. Said, what? He didn't say any more. I thought about it. Next hole, next hole. And he was right. The club gets you down the fair lane, but the irons get you on the green. The powers that be, the establishment, are freaking out about Trump. They have, they're grabbing their irons right now. They're like, how do we get our candidate on the green? How do we, oh my gosh, we're freaking out. We get, you know, it's this secret <clears throat> meeting at Jekyll Island, Georgia with all these jets. Um, they're freaking out. They are freaking out. <clears throat> if Trump were to say, and I'm still, I'm thinking, I have till June to decide because it's California, but I'm still, I'm still thinking I might vote for uh, Libertarian. 
the third party. I still might. But if Trump comes out and he says, I will be the next Andrew Jackson, I will end the Federal Reserve, boom, it's over. I'm going for Trump. And I realized even just today, another aspect he has about the government, he basically said, well, okay, when you run a business or you started businesses, if you apply that mentality in the government, you're going to find 10 ways past Tuesday how to save money, solve problems, get it done, make government efficient. Trump has that, obviously. He expressed it very well when he said, you know, I want to build a wall on our southern border. As tall as this, this ceiling right here, everybody looks up, it's like way tall. So now I estimate it's going to cost 8 to $12 billion. Of course, my opposition to my left and my right, this is going to cost them $200 because they've got to give money to their friends. That business sense that he has bringing into the government is going to be amazing. And, of course, Donald Trump playing Donald Trump. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. Oh, by the way, Andrew Jackson, he went through the federal government, the employees, he fired one-third. One-third. At the time, you can do oh, that wow. maybe. Yeah, he fired a third of the government because they were connected to the Bank of America, B of A, Bank of Apostasy. Um, anyway, I would love to see Donald Trump play Donald Trump, <laughs> where he says, he goes through, he says, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. The only problem is he'd have to do it 24-7 for four years to fire all the incompetence or the inefficient or the lazy or the whatever special interests involved. Of course, if he was smart enough, he'd set up a program and delegate, and he'd still have the same effect as Jackson. But it, it oh my gosh, this, I... I hope he comes out and says, I'm going to be the next Andrew Jackson. That one sentence, I'm done. He's got me. I've, I've been holding a line because I have helped you in, but if he says, I will be the next Andrew Jackson, I will terminate the Federal Reserve of our day, as he did, boom, it's over. I'm, a Trump. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to be campaigning for him, not just vote for him. I'll be campaigning for him. And I'll bring about, in my small county, easily 100 people with me. <laughs> easily. And then they'll go tell, and they'll go tell, and they'll go tell, and it's, and yeah, it's it's amazing. I I think he's going to win Florida. He's going to win New York, his home state. I mean, that's a no-brainer for New York. California, probably. Yeah, I'll put about a name. That's what I was saying tonight. To, that's what I was saying tonight to somebody uh, when you know talk about you know Cruz could come back. I said, well, I I just don't see Cruz winning it because Cruz isn't going to win New York. He may Cruz may not win New Jersey uh, because that's you know there are, you know he may not win Cal I think Trump will take California he may take Ohio but it looks like Kasich might actually take Ohio but if he takes Florida I I just don't see how Cruz could catch up you know, as I said earlier I don't know if uh, I don't know if Cruz would uh, you know if, if Trump I mean would have enough votes you know twelve hundred or so to to fully get out. Um, what do you, you know? Think about Pennsylvania, but, well, Robert, you know, we'll have to see. I'm sorry. The Pennsylvania well, next door. What do you think about Pennsylvania? Do you think they're going to go Trump? I think it'd be more likely to. Yeah, Case I didn't think about that. Run there. Yeah, Cruz will Cruz will be third in Trump in Pennsylvania. So you got a you got a Trump Kasich in Pennsylvania. Cruz will be third there. Rubio, what? Who? What? Okay. So that's going to be another interesting one right there. Um, I don't know. It, 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 my gut feeling tells me he's going to win the nomination. Uh, 
I don't trust any of the polls, though. I just count the votes at, at each caucus or primary because most of these polls, you know, don't seem to be that good at calculating it, figuring it out. Now, what about this? Because um, we got a little bit of time before I have to close things out. Um, and right now, folks, I am working on next week's show. I'm actually chatting with uh, uh, Timothy. Uh, I don't know if the one's last name, but I won't, just in case. Timothy, who we're actually talking about uh, getting in contact with a we, what we would call a senator. There's a, an Irish name for that, which um, I won't try to pronounce this late in the evening. Uh, but we're actually chatting right now on Facebook trying to get a senator from Ireland onto the show uh, to talk about Irish politics because they do have a multi-party system as well as uh, they have preferential voting, which uh, which he'll talk more about if we could get him on. Uh, but I figured since next Wednesday's show is the show before St. Patrick's Day, I thought it would be pretty interesting to get uh, an Irish politician on the show. And so we uh, I'm working on that now, whether we get – uh, the gentleman or not remains to be seen, but uh, I am working on it, and I think that would be fascinating uh, to be able to get uh, a candidate for oh, not a candidate, but a you know a senator from another a country on uh, to talk about their political system. So uh, keep your fingers crossed, put out some positive thoughts. Let's hope we can get them off for next week. I, I would love to hear his thoughts on preferential voting because the way I understand it. <clears throat> You don't get one vote. You get like as many votes as you want. You don't like yeah, and, you're, and, and, and then you vote for them in the order of your preference, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's an amazing. Actually, send send them, send them a, a text message or something that says America needs preferential voting. Want to hear how it works in Ireland? I'm sorry. Send could you repeat that? Okay. America needs preferential voting. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it, how it works in Ireland. Yeah, definitely. I'm, uh, actually, yeah, I'm getting, I got, I've got the gentleman's email address, and uh, so I'm just going to ask uh, my contact here, Timothy, to uh, let him know that I will be contacting him and ask him to come on uh, to the show. I think that would be uh, fascinating to be a personal thrill for me. Uh, since uh, I really enjoy that. And plus, perhaps I'll also get a, another professor friend, uh, which is funny, his name's Timothy. It's not the same person as I'm chatting with now. Um, but he'll uh, maybe we'll have him onto the show, who's a political science professor uh, who uh, is, you know, is very knowledgeable. He's actually probably the regional, at least where I'm at, expert on Ireland and, and Irish politics and culture. Uh, so, well, I'm looking forward to that, and that would be awesome because that would be the day before uh, St. Patrick's Day, so that would be great. So, anyway, I want to pose this quick question before I have to close things out. Because we hear Ted Cruz talking about, you know, I'm going to abolish the IRS, and we have some people saying they want to end the Fed. It's a pretty simple question, and if we, you could do a little elaboration because we have a little bit of time. And we'll start with you, uh, we'll t- Susan, and then we'll go to, uh, you know, the same round, John, and then Kelly, we got a few minutes for it, is that, um, is it even possible? I mean, really, in this day and age, the way they're so integrated into our economic system, do you really think it's possible for us to end the Fed 
and to abolish the IRS. What, what do you think, John? When you say the Fed, Robert, you're referring to the Federal Reserve, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hey, you did say me, even though you said you were going to Susan first. So. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Susan. You're right. It's been a, it's been a long oh. couple of days. I apologize. Go ahead, Susan. <laughs> Um, do I think it's possible to end the Fed? Well, I definitely think it's possible to audit them, and we should have done that a long time ago, and they've had their chances. And um, <clears throat> But I do think we should end it. I think it should be gone. And I think we should audit Fort Knox while we're at it, too. I'm not sure if the gold is even there, if the bar is stacked up to make it look like it is, or what, or if they got it, proved it, and hit it somewhere else. Maybe they should be auditing everything. Is that is that what you were questioning but on? Do you, but do you, but, well, do you think it's even possible for us to end the Fed, not just audit them? I mean, just end the Fed and abolish the IRS. Oh, the IRS. Okay. Um. Well, I would like to see a flat tax, you know, but, um, and I suppose you still have a form of IRS, but not as big. And auditing the Fed, if you audit them, I think what we find, I think it would end them because people would be very angry. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm yawning. <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, For a lot of us, I, I, I think it would. I think there'd be a call to get rid of them if they found the illegal piece that they have done through the years and all the evil. I wrote a blog article on it. Let me tell you, it is so so wretched. Um, so I don't. I think people would feel like they've been really cool, uh, you know, by everything that's in that the Federal Reserve has done. They're a private entity. They're not part of the government. So. I feel that, yeah, I think it's possible. But I do think we'd have to audit first to prove our point, to prove how evil they are. Motion, if the, you know, the feds may be a second, or the Federal Reserve may be an entity to itself, but the powers at which it operates an agency through the federal government, we can always take back. And then they could, do something else, but they wouldn't have the right to manipulate and, pr- and print money. But uh, the IRS, I'm all for it, and I think us human beings, we've done a lot of different things. We could figure out a means. It, we wouldn't be able to do it overnight, but we could figure out how to phase it out and no do, you know, shoot. I'm all for it. You know, I'm ready to talk. Let's do it. Okay. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we agree on a lot of things. Well, unfortunately, it uh, looks like, oh, my gosh, well, we ran out of time. i got to go close things out for tonight. Uh, but I want to thank all you guys for, for, for coming on to the show. I want to uh, thank our guest tonight, uh, Danny Sycrate. Uh, and definitely check out uh, his website uh, that he mentioned earlier uh, or also just uh, – Google them, and you can find them as well. Uh, and also, of course, uh, check out the website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. 
and uh, check uh, that out. And, of course, use uh, what I've provided there to share the show, to be able to share the link for tonight uh, so people can listen to us and hopefully join us as well uh, to get on. Uh, so we'll see what happens with next week. Uh, that would be, I think, a really great show, of course, St. Patrick's Day uh, to get that on. Uh, but, unfortunately, I do have to close things out. And so uh, I will end tonight, as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. So we will see you next week. Hopefully I'll see uh, Danny and perhaps uh, some others at the Donald Trump rally in Cincinnati, Ohio, this Sunday. And perhaps I'll be given, uh, get some audio clips of some results. Uh, not results. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, results, too, and input uh, from folks who are going to be at the rally and get their thoughts. And so we'll uh, look forward to that for next Wednesday. So mark your calendar, folks, if you want to hear uh, from a Trump rally, which I'm planning on being that. Mark your calendars and join us uh, next Wednesday. And so, as I said, uh, we'll be playing the song by Aubrey Ashburn. So good night. Take care. And we'll see you next time. Good night. Hey, good night. Thank you.